Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. How's it going? Hello. Welcome Good. to episode 314. 30 years of Nitrous 09, part three. We promise not to do this in real time. <laughs> and apologies up front if the chat doesn't quite work right today. Not sure why yet. Let's see. We have a panel full today. All right, starting, let's see who we got here. Starting upper left-hand corner, we have Deke. Hello, everybody. Hi. And next over, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Okay. And Rick Uland. Howdy, folks. Uh, Bill Astle. Hello. And forgive me if I mess up your names. I'm good at that. All right, next up, uh, Bob Emery. Hi, everybody. And <laughs> Sloopy. Oh, that's me. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, and I was getting my pre-nap in. Pre-nap, all right. Uh, Ken Waters, how you doing? I'm here. All right. Uh, <laughs> next up, Marco. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, and we'll do a character turn and a line feed. Ron Delvo. Please don't sing to me today. <laughs> okay. It's um, my birthday, that's why I said that. Oh, we're singing for sure now. Now we have that. Now that you've announced it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The we'll get Samuel Gimes to sing it for you because you know it. We like we know you that you like his singing so much. I was hoping that would happen. I can sing just like Samuel. Or well, it's good. There you go. Hey, we got a last second update from uh Gimes. How about that? No. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Final next episode. next over yours truly. Uh let's see. Ken Hall or Kevin Holloway. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we, yes, can, we can hear you. Okay, good. All right. Uh, next up, David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Hope you get to stick around for today's episode. It's going to be a Nitrous Nine-filled episode. Oh, yeah. And last but not least, he who will snap through the whole show, Nick Marentes. Ah, hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm here for my three-hour talk about the uh, OS9 trash can. And a fine trash can it is. It is. <clears throat> okay, that was the introduction. Hey, Nick, is it true that uh, it's tomorrow where you are? Yeah, it is. 
Ah, uh, my birthday's over. That's right. Uh, <laughs> darn. Nick celebrated yesterday. Ron. Hey, Ron. Oh, yeah, actually. Your, Ron, I was wondering, is it your birthday today? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be 70 next year. Ooh-hoo. You have to do the math. <laughs> I call that nice. As long as it's not 70 hacks. years experience. Yeah. Happy birthday. I'm probably the oldest to one, you. <laughs> Jeez. What happened to the rest of you guys? <laughs> we know we can't sing. <laughs> I'm not going to torture our audience. I don't think they'd like it. I was expecting Ron's wishes. Torture is my mom singing to me this morning just as I woke up from bed. (laughs) Good morning to you. (laughs) Oh, no, happy birthday to you. I think it's this uh, cease and desist letter that we got that we're not singing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I haven't got a copy of that one yet. So, let's see. So, today's topic of discussion... 30 years of Nitroso 9. Um, Curtis, that's your cue. Yep. Part three, <laughs> which has actually been in the making for months now. Uh, just uh, trying to get everybody together and still didn't quite manage to do that. So Tim Linder was going to try to be on. He's not going to be able to make it. Tormod, we're still hoping, will come on. Uh, he Last time I talked to him, he said he would be able to make it. So hopefully he'll be on uh, sh- shortly or soon. Um well, this show is all about herding cats. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, Guy Major was hoping to be on, and uh, he wasn't able to make it, though he did email me some uh, responses to some of the questions I'll be asking our guests. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll read those out loud once once we get to those questions. So <clears throat> I'll just mention the ones that are on the panel right now, and these are the people that have been involved with Nitrous 9, either as developers for the operating system itself and or programs that run under it or have made tools that are used to help produce some of the software under it. Um, so we'll just uh, mention them. We've got uh, Jeff, and I'm going to hopefully pronounce your last name right. Tennyson? Tennyson. So pretty close? <laughs> close enough, right? Yeah. I think most people in, in the Discord know you probably better as, as Deke. Yes. So I, I guess my one question for you right off the bat is, um, where, where did that nickname come from? Um, From the old BBS days. There was a uh, a major BBS on which I went as... Dark Knight, not Batman related, but whatever. Um, and somebody shortened it to everybody shortened it to DK, and then somebody uh just started calling me Deke. He's like, I'm not gonna call you DK, I'm just gonna call you Deke. And it stuck. Okay. Secret origin story, folks. Yeah. Okay, uh, next Deke. up, and I'm just looking at the order I've got him on my Zoom, which is not the same as the viewers at home. So next up, I have a David Ladd, which I'm sure our viewers are at least somewhat familiar with. Oh, Lord. Yes, oh, how can I help God. you, Curtis? Um, where, where did your name come? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but but thanks for coming on the show. Um, you're actually one of the people who helped get me back into Nitrous 9 after my 10, 12-year um, vacation. So, I did? Uh, yeah, yeah, you did. So, and you did a lot of testing for me and, and for some other people as well. So we'll get into that in a bit. And then next up, we have William Astle. Uh, you go by William or Bill? I should probably ask that. William, usually. Okay. Yeah, Bill was I, my grandfather, you see. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, you've got a nickname too, Lost Wizard, which is actually the basis of the names for a lot of your your software and tools and stuff. They're all called LW something or other. And I was wondering, where did that name come from? You know, I'm not entirely sure uh, anymore. Uh, it does <laughs> go back to uh, it goes back to um, as uh, muds. I think uh, the uh, it was uh, yeah. I, I I ended up picking up uh, a. I got frustrated because the names I wanted to use weren't available. And I typed, I, I typed some stuff in, I ended up with, I think I ended up with lost and then, uh, then I couldn't get that on another one. And I, I somehow it all coalesced and then, then you end up with lost wizard. Right. Uh, but it, it mostly comes down to fighting with the usernames already being taken. <laughs> yeah. This is a BBS days. Or are you talking to like major well, like emails be, or what? Uh, well, uh, it, 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 I guess it would be BBS days, but it wasn't on BBSs. It was like yeah, MUDs, you know, multi-user dungeons, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and then, of course, trying to sign up on websites if you need an account to do a thing. And then, oh, well, that's not available. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And as I mentioned before, well, hopefully Tormod will be able to show up a little bit later. So I want to do a bit of a shout out to those other people because uh, David Ladd was kind enough to go through all the logs and source code and check-ins and stuff on the repository for a bunch of other people involved with Nitrous 9 over the last uh, decade you know, that it's been out. So we'll say basically 11 years or so, roughly. Um, and I'll just rattle off a few here that I, I took note of and uh, you know some of the things they did. So Aaron Wolf, who helped work on the DriveWire implementation for Nitrous 9 itself, I think Boise is the one who created the original protocol. Uh, Bill Pierce, who's still active in the community, uh, does a lot of stuff. He's kind of taken over Ultimus and a few other things that he worked on some of the Cocoa 3 FPGA stuff. Uh, Gene Heskett, a longtime Cocoa person. I remember talking to him on the Echoes back in the, the 80s even. Um, he worked on the level three updates for the new code base. Neil Crook, who helped uh, fix up the source code for the new code base. And added the Multicomp 09 FPGA machine build. Now, I'm not familiar with that at all. David or Jeff or William, are you guys familiar with that particular project? Which project? The uh, Multicomp 09 FPGA. Oh, I've heard of it. That's about it. Okay. David, do you do you know anything about that? You're, you kind of keep nope. on top of FPGA stuff. No. The only FPGA I have is the Coco F. The Coco 3 FPGA, and, you know, I haven't used it in a while. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, the code base, I know from talking to Boise on part two, uh, I think they originally, when they converted it over from being, you know, natively done in Nitrous 9 itself and, and making it cross-platform for compiling, et cetera, I think they went to Memu first. Is that correct? And then it's kind of changed, I think, one or two times since then as far as what the base assemblers. I think actually... For most people now, it's it's Williams uh, LW Asm that's the main development tool for that. Is that correct? Um, originally, I don't know what it started with. I know when I joined the project, it was Mamal or however you want to pronounce it. And um, after a few months is when Boise started the conversion to using LW Asm to uh, build the modules. And commands. I think it's what most most developers, except for like you know, people that are stuck in the the eighties, like Bill and me, 
Um, <laughs> I think it's pretty well everybody uses that. Jeff, I'm assuming that's probably what you use for if you're doing assembly stuff. I usually use RMA. Oh, you actually do within Microsoft cell phone or? There, I also use the uh, Linux uh, compile of it. Oh, okay. But Memu was written, I believe, by Boise uh, specifically yes. to be compatible with the old OS 9 ASM. The level one assembler, because RMA is the level two assembler, yeah. basically. Well, it's not really level one assembler. It's just the the single pass assembler. Yeah, I call it level one because it was included with level one when you bought it. Yeah. And RMA, I don't think they sold. I don't think Tandy sold it anyway until uh, level two came out. I remember correctly. Yeah. RMA was actually written for the C compiler. Yeah. And you, uh, we'll get into that, but you're actually kind of like carrying the torch in that one and expanding it and doing all kinds of fun things with it. Um, so some other people that were involved, um, Robert Galt, who did a lot of things, he uh, helped with backporting the 6.3.9 modules that uh, we'd done on, on the commercial version and the freeware version and, uh, you know, backporting the 6.8.0.9. He did the 8 meg RAM uh, disk drivers uh, for the 8 meg upgrades, like um, the NOCAN 3 from, oh, I'm pulling a blank in his name. Ron, you know him. Sure. Uh, Paul Barton. Yes. Uh, and then Ed Snyder, of course, has an eight mega uh, version as well. So, and he's done a ton of other things too, uh, just all over the place. Uh, Darren Atkinson, who created the Coco SDC, actually worked on the Coco SDC floppy hard disk driver. Uh, Guy Major, who unfortunately couldn't make it today. Uh, well, I'll get into his stuff when we get in there. There's a bunch of others I couldn't find emails for, and there's some that just have nicknames, and I have no idea who they even are. So I'll just name a couple of these. Some of them I do have real names. Uh, I couldn't make it on the show. Um, if you guys know who any of these people are, I'd, I'd love to know. Because I don't have a clue. So LF Antonio C. Luis, I believe is his name. Luis. Okay. Is is he still active? Do you know or I haven't heard from him in a while? Okay. Chris Ox, of course, he uh, we usually see him at Cocoa Fest. Uh Lothan. Anybody have a clue who that is? Uh Afra, A F R A. Uh, C-U-C-Y-O-U-S-E. Uh, Chris Hughes, I believe is his name. Oh, okay. U-S-E? Y-O-U-S-E. Or Yows. And then P-W-Z? P-W-Z? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, Paul Zabalia. Oh, okay. Anyway, like Nitrous 9, even when we were doing it commercially, I mean, there was four of us involved with that. Um, and then, of course, Boise took it over. And then when everybody else, when they made it a full open source project, I mean, a lot of people have come in and, and some have come and gone and some have stayed like you guys. And uh, I just wanted to give a big shout out. Thank you to everybody that was involved here to keeping the to keeping the project going and keeping it advancing. So um, I've got three basic questions, and basically I'll just ask the question. We'll go round round the table, uh, get your responses to it, and then if anything comes up from your response, I might do some follow up questions uh, on more specific things. Um, and I'll just go in the order that I'm seeing them on the screen here. So it'll be Jeff first, and then William, and then David. And uh, if Tormod shows up, we'll throw him in there too. So the first one is: What projects over the last ten, fifteen years have you done that are either part of Nitrous Nine or the software that runs within it? Or 
is related to its development tools. Um, you know, they could be like, you know, stuff for manipulating disk images. It could be stuff about, uh, you know, assemblers, compilers, all that kind of stuff. So, Jeff, you're first. Oh, God. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, let's see. Uh, well, there's the C compiler, uh, DCC, uh, the updated C compiler. Um, let's see. I've worked on Make. I ported Yak, which is a, it's an AT&T, uh, it stands for yet another compiler compiler. It is a program for making uh, parsers for uh, any kind of language. So if you define a language, you can use this program to uh, make a C program that can turn that language into meaning that the program can understand. Okay. It's like a tokenizer. Okay. And that's a standard uh, Unix tool or? Yes. Because I know like on the last couple of ish or editions of EOU, for example, we've included, you've actually done quite a bit of porting of some of the Unix tools. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of other things that are useful for development that aren't necessarily meant for development. Like uh, said, um, but yeah, I also ported uh, Lex, which is uh, a lexical scanner for compiler stuff. Uh, I needed that in order to port Yak, I believe. It was like either that or the other way around. I ported <laughs> Yak so that I could get Lex. A lot of codependencies here. Yeah. Unix is, is very much based on um, you never write another program when you can use another as part of your program. So almost everything you've done has pretty well been development tools. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention with DCC, and we'll get into more detail of that in a bit, um, but you're also doing documentation for it now. So you're expanding the documentation, actually creating a new manual for it as well. Yes. And and just from my touching on the couple parts I've done for Nitrous 9 itself, that's a lot of work. So I commend you for that. <laughs> I, the, the thing I really want to do with that is to is the initial chapter where you can take somebody who's never done C and uh, using OS 9 or Nitrous 9 um, walk them through producing a program. Okay. Uh, and then the rest is all about the differences in and similarities and uh, all of this stuff to understand the the microware and slash DCC compiler uh, enough to give you ideas for what you can do with it, essentially. Okay. Um, so basically, you you're really focused on development tools. Yeah, that's pretty well your bread and butter. Do you have any you know stuff that's a little bit outside of that that you're also working on, or is that pretty well? I mean, you've converted so many unix tools i'm sure that's probably taking all your time at this point but <laughs> uh no it's pretty much all development stuff because i don't want to it's just I've, I've done like game stuff and i'm just not doing that right now i'm 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 trying to be a plumber 
yeah, you're fixing all the plumbing and, and and adding to it and enhancing it so that the all of the rest of us have you know decent tools to work from. Exactly. Um, now DCC is that also work on stock OS nine if people want to go like right retro and go all the way back to 1986. I believe it does. I know there's been a few diehards I've seen on Facebook and stuff and saying, I don't want to touch this Nitrous 9 stuff here. Regardless of whether it's a CPU upgrade version or the 609 version, they want to play with the original. Yeah, it should work on a standard Cocoa. uh, Which I'd find about as much fun as running Windows 1, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, uh, what is that? Uh, Shell Plus is great. Uh, Having... uh, the faster nitrous nine kernel and stuff like that. That's, that's pretty great. Um, but it's basically nitrous nine. It's just, it's, it's OS nine, just a little faster, a little nicer with more of the updates that have been put together over the years. So you don't have to go search them out yourself. Yeah. I know I've gotten like multiple people have mentioned even the U project. A lot of them are using DCs. Like Fred Provanja wrote the new control panel in that, and I know he's he was asking you questions, stuff going back and forth, and he's quite enamored with it. So, uh, and Bill's fiddled with it a little bit too. Unfortunately, Bill wasn't able to make it today. I invited him to the show, but okay, oh, we'll get into more details on some of that stuff here in, in just a moment. But I want to get over to William now. I should mention Torma just emailed me, and he asked me, "Can you send me a direct link to the Zoom meeting?" So I'm not sure if he just needs the meeting number and the password, or if he needs us some sort of web thingy. So if anybody in the Zoom chat wants to give me the, if there's such a thing as a web link to it, uh, send me that, and I'll forward it off to him. But well, anyway, same question to you. So what projects over the last 10, 15 years have you done that are either part of Nitrous Nine itself, or the software that runs within it, or related to its development tools, et cetera, that you've done? Well, it's uh, mostly it's the uh, LW tool stuff, uh, I would think. Uh, but I I did do, uh, I, as I recall, a bunch of the heavy lifting on the initial conversion so that the uh, project would build with the LW tools. Um, I do remember that uh, Boise uh, merged that as this is the branch to use uh, prematurely before testing anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I remember uh, I I spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, fixing up some compatibility things and so on in LWASM and uh, you know a few other things to make that work. Uh, messed around with the make files to see if I could make it saner and uh, decided that was just going to make me more insane. So I, <laughs> I, gave, I decided to stop messing with that. Um, but mostly, uh, I think since then, uh, I haven't really done much other than uh, you know, pop up in chats and go, hey, you know, it kind of works this way or, or whatever. Uh, or serve as a sounding board, I guess, for uh, assembly questions or whatever, which uh, seems to have helped one or two people over the years. Uh, so I guess I, I guess that's kind of useful. Yeah. So LWASMs, is that part of the tools or is that considered a separate thing? Uh, well, it, it, it historically it started out... I. I was uh, frustrated with uh, all the assemblers that existed uh, because they all <laughs> did everything I wanted but one thing. 
or they had one niggling problem, like uh, Mamu had uh, issues with uh, phasing errors on forward references, for instance. Uh, and uh, uh, so I uh, I said, okay, I could make an assembler. And I bashed one out, you know, got, got it working. And uh, so that that came first, the, the assembler. And then along the way, I, I was thinking, wait a minute, uh, I, I, I could make a linker. That can't be too hard. <laughs> uh, and down as, the rabbit hole you went. <laughs> as I said uh, earlier, you know, make myself more insane, right? Uh, although, funny enough, uh, the linker uh, came together mostly in about 24 hours. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, and then about three months of debugging. <laughs> now, did you did you start LWASM before you got involved with the Nitrous Nine side of things? Because like, it actually assembles stuff for Disk Basic as well, correct? Yeah, I started it uh, quite a while before. Uh, it, it was uh, Boise actually uh, discovered it and 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 decided it was better than uh, Mamu, and he didn't want to maintain that anymore. So. He said, so he, he's, he was the driving force for, uh, getting any mo, uh, like any, uh, attraction on, uh, uh converting the, uh, repository to build with, uh, something else. Right. Okay. Uh, and I do remember having, uh, a couple of, uh, arguments with him about features too. <laughs> it's like, he's like, well, Did you should creepy mean or, or just in general. Well, he insisted something should be should work in a certain way that was totally illogical, but it's the way Mamu worked, right? And I was like, nope, it's not going to do that. So he was striving for a backwards compatibility with his original. Uh, well, he didn't understand why it was a bad idea. Okay. And he pushed a little bit too hard, and I uh, I poked him with the, uh, well, you have the source, uh, you modify it. <laughs> He he actually pushed just a little bit too hard. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, the linker, uh, even I think I had that uh, before the uh, the Nitrous 9 uh, conversion as well. I can't remember the exact timing now. Uh, I just remember that uh, there was a big spat about uh, uh open sourcing things uh, with uh, one fellow I can't remember who he was and doesn't really matter and uh there was a bunch of bad blood and I just popped up and said uh, you know I I'm, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and inflict uh everything on uh, on it, on people and then I released it <laughs> so in like looking time frame wise like obviously we kind of covered when you guys were starting to do the transition from Mammut over to this and you had to modify the assembler to handle like close nine system calls and stuff I assume how long before that had you had LW asm out for disk basic was it years or months or uh, yes I can't remember when the conversion started or when I released everything so <laughs> uh well I think the assembler I I had it operational for uh, a couple couple years bef before before i released it i i had something working uh, i i don't remember the exact uh timing but it was a little while at least I, that much i do remember okay so when you originally created that project you had no intention of doing anything with OS 9 nitrous 9 at that point no uh i i did intend to support uh, assembling uh, OS nine modules, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't intend to uh, 
uh, end up being an infrastructure component of a project. <laughs> <laughs> and then for those that aren't familiar with it, I mean, LWASM is kind of self-explanatory. It's an assembler. But uh, what else is in, in, in the LW Tools suite? Right. Uh, so there's a linker that's LW link, uh, and that uh, obviously it links object files together. Uh, the uh, there's a proprietary uh, but documented object file format, uh, which uh, allows it to do some things that uh, older uh, linkers didn't, like uh, resolve complex uh, references where you've got two things referenced on a line that are both external references. Uh, it can actually handle that. Uh, which is a great way to confuse people. Uh, there's also an archiver, so uh, similar to the uh, AR thing in uh, uh, Unix. All, all it does is just glue a bunch of object files together. You know, you can put any files you want in it. It's uh, nothing special. It's just uh, basically it has a name and a length and the, uh, the file bytes, and then a name and a length and the file bytes. And it's not clever. Uh, and a magic number at the start, so that the linker can figure out what it's looking at. Okay. Now, does uh, it work on on dragons and stuff too? Like, I know they got different disk, you know, image stuff, different formats than we do, especially with Dragon DOS. But I was just wondering, did you support that as well, or? Uh, I don't remember if there was if if I ever added uh, an output format for that. Uh, if if it if it's in there, it would have been contributed by somebody who actually knows the information. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's been a few contributions along the way for uh, output formats. Uh, the disk basic one was the big one, and then OS nine modules, which is a right pain, especially since uh, I actually made it so that the linker uh, could build modules. Uh, that was one of the modifications for the uh, Nitrous 9 uh, port, is there was some stuff built with uh, RMA and, and, and such that was not building properly because there was bugs in uh, something. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, there, there's been there's been a lot of people saying, hey, can you add this or can you add that over <laughs> Some of it's been easy. Some of it's been, I don't know how to do that. Give me documentation and then nothing turns up. <laughs> okay. And then in both of your cases, I think your main, like the assembler and the compiler, the C compiler, these are ongoing projects for you. It's not like you're you're you know done and you know, here it is. But you you actually do do updates. You actually keep them up to date and add new features, as you mentioned. <clears throat> if if you know, sometimes it's not entirely possible to do so, especially without, you know, proper specs, et cetera. But these are active projects, not, you know, finished. Yeah, for sure. By no means finished. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, I made a release on LW Tools uh, during the fest, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. And I know, I know, Jeff, like here's DCC compiler is a fair bit ahead of the EOU 1.0 release. So when I do the 101 uh, bug fix update, I'll be including the latest version. Yeah, my latest updates, I believe I've gotten, it's pretty close to C99. The, pre, the preprocessor is pretty close to C99 now, which okay, is the 10 years after ANSI. Oh, so beyond that, I was about to ask about ANSI compatibility, because I know that's something that was being worked on even back by people before you on the original C compiler, but... Yeah. The... 
uh, actual compiler is not compatible with ANSI yet. Uh, that's going to have to wait until I can get it finished, finish getting it split back up into two passes. Okay. Which there is progress on. I've gotten a pass one, which is basically the uh, the part of the compiler that reads the text of a C program and turns it into tokens. Okay. That part is pretty much working, I think. It's hard to tell because I don't have anything that can turn it into code. The, the code generator, which is pass two, um, turns the tokens into assembly. Okay. Now, William, we went from one direction. You see, he did an assembly that originally worked with, uh, you know, disk basic and then added the OSIN stuff as as he went along. And we've got CMOC, which is kind of a C-ish compiler that or runs on both. Do you have any inclinations of making this so it can generate disk basic stuff at some point? Question for Jeff. Oh, that's for me. Yeah, um, I think the compiler can do it now. Uh, because of the uh, ability to uh, do absolute addressing. And I unlocked some other code recently that enables it to use uh, the Y register as a variable. Uh, with that done, I think I can generate uh, disk basic compatible code. There's just no front end or linker yet to build those and make that happen. Okay. Because I, I do know, um, I don't know if it's used as much in North America, but I know on the Dragon, there was uh, one software company in particular that wrote games, and they actually used the OSIN Level 1 assembler to do all their, their Dragon DOS games. And they actually have little credits saying, you know, we, we did this under OSIN Level 1 and used ASM or whatever on their credit screen. So I was kind of curious if you were kind of steering the same way where it could be used as a cross-platform within the Cocosphere. Yeah. I think that if we were made a new R-Link, essentially, uh, that can that produced uh, disk basic uh, binaries. We could actually do that. Yeah, because it's basically just preamble and postambles. You got to kind of worry about as you go through. If I remember correctly, right. otherwise you it's need just a new, assembly. You need a new C start, and you need a new linker. It's actually less complicated than it sounds uh, to glue it all together and uh, make it work, since all the linking uh, stuff is already figured out. Right. And you yeah, don't have the, to the deal with process uh, of making. The you binary. don't have to deal with uh, read-only uh, modules either. You can have your data. It, you know, doesn't need an initializer that copies it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you start. <laughs> hey, Curtis. Yep. Sixty said crystal computing design maybe was yep. doing the OS nine level one. Yeah, they made a they made a I think like the Battle Zone clone. That's actually probably the best Battle Zone we have on the Coco One Two Dragon Thirty Two Dragon Sixty Four platform. Uh, it's better than Rommel 3D. It's called Rommel's Revenge. I think that was one. There was a couple others they did, but it was all assembled using the OS9 level one for the dragon. Okay. I've been getting emails flying in from Tormod, so if I look a bit distracted here, he's having trouble getting uh, Zoom to work. 
both on the online version and then now he's downloaded the app and now it's saying unable to join the meeting the host requires authentication on the commercial zoom platform to join etc so i've posted some of those in the zoom chat so if any of you zoom experts in in on the call here can uh maybe fire off some answers for tormod and i'll forward them off to him so we can get him joined in the meeting here i had that happen I, I had to make an account on zoom that's that's pretty well the prerequisite to do it yeah okay i'll just email him that right now Use a throwaway email address. Yeah, Riveting, I know. Listen to me type. That, that's to keep uh, <laughs> random people from bombing our meetings. Which, unfortunately, we've had before. Yeah, we have. Okay, I made him the suggestion about using the throwaway email account too. Zoom's pretty pretty tame. I haven't had any spam out of them that I can recognize. No, the only issue we had with Zoom was actually when when COVID first started, and then we started getting those people that when they had that bug where they could just crash the call, and then we had you know people drawing yeah. crap. I on mean, the screen as far as using remarks. personal as far as using personal email to get a Zoom account, I haven't had any backlash from that. Where oh, okay. There are some things where I you can identify, you know, some sites. Wow, I'm glad I used a burner here, <laughs> but but not Zoom. So okay. Well, before I get to the third one here, but I was wanted to open up the to the panel here. Um, how many people on the panel here actually use either Williams or Jeff's tools, either the C compiler or the LW ASM, whether it's for Nitrous Nine or not? I'm just wondering for the developers here on the panel, how many here? I use, use Williams stuff. It comes in handy for a few play things here and there. I haven't yet, but I plan to. Okay. I've, I know I've used Williams uh, LW Asm too uh, when I was teaming up doing the uh, port of Attack of the Petsky Robots, which I someday have to get back to. Um, that that was all done using LW Asm as well. And I've done a little bit of fiddling with the DCC compiler, but not not too much. I'm not much of a C guy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I have I used some of the Unix utilities you ported. They're nice. Yeah. Sorry, who is I, that, uh, Mark? Uh, it is me. Uh, just, I, I pretty much have used LWASM always because it's the back end for both CMOC and the GCC 6809 uh, patch that uh, Brett Gordon uses. And so, you know, basically Alcaron uses and Galaxy Server use LWASM behind everything else. And I'm going to learn his uh, his archiving tool because I think we need to make libraries for stuff. So they can be linked in when needed. Um, also, uh, oh, yeah, just doing strict assembler too. I use LWASM. So I have uh, Robert Galt's uh, patch for uh, EdTASM, but Ed I haven't really used it. And I don't really do much stuff on OS 9 yet, so I haven't really used DCC yet. Although it's definitely the choice there instead of you know, the native compiler. Yeah. Just uh, looking at the chat here, Fred Provence actually said that he's used uh, LW2s as well. And I know he uses DCC because he, like I mentioned earlier, he did the control panel and he's done some other, um, he's done three or four programs, I think, with DCC so far that are actually in AOU. So a fractal drawing program was one. Uh, and there was another one he did, I can't remember off the top of my head. Fred, Fred can remind me in the thing, but uh, it's been actively used. And then both of them are really good at uh, responding to you know user questions and user requests if you're on the Coco Discord. 
I imagine they probably ask you an RC too, but do you, are, do you, are the two of you actively using RC much these days or? We're both in the channel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much constantly. <laughs> Just there's not much chat there uh, these days. Yeah, the last couple of times I went on, I actually would stay logged in for like four hours and see nothing. So I would just log back out again. So maybe, maybe once the uh, keeps me logged in. So <laughs> I, I maybe once the the, uh, the network cards are out and we actually we already have a native IRC uh, chat client that Todd Wallace did. I think right now it has to go through DriveWire, but he's planning on uh, extending it to use the network card. So maybe you know people actually on their Cocos can join in the chat. That'd be kind of cool. Looking forward to that. Uh, Fred says, yeah, DCC is awesome. Thanks for your work on that, Deke. Thank you. Um, now, I've mentioned uh, that, uh, you know, Jeff, you've done a fair bit of extensive documentation. That's an ongoing project for you, just like the Nitro Science stuff is for me. Um, William, I haven't had a chance to go through too much of the documentation, but I imagine it's probably pretty robust for the LW tool set as well. Or, Well, there there is a reasonably complete manual. Uh, it doesn't teach you how to do assembly or anything like that. Uh, but some of the newer uh, tweaks and stuff aren't in there. Uh, but there's enough that you can actually figure out how to run the thing, at least, uh, theoretically, anyway. Uh, and it documents the object file format, among other things. Okay. And do you do the two of you have a, an official kind of a beta testing regime that you go through? Like, do you have certain people that you send off a version of it to test out? if you do anything or you do your own testing or you just let it in the wild and then they you wait for the reports to come in or how does that work? I do extensive testing myself before I upload to GitHub, but once it's on GitHub, just let it all come in. And William, same thing or? Yeah, I, I do. Depending on what I'm messing with, I'll do fairly extensive testing. Uh, I haven't done a lot of invasive stuff recently. So it's relatively easy to tell if you broke something because you modified three lines of code uh, most of the time. Uh, there is that three lines of code somewhere that will, uh, you know, take the entire project apart, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I haven't tripped on it yet. Uh, keyword yet. Uh, but generally, uh, if I'm working on a bug fix, I might get the person that reported the bug to test it to make sure it fixed it. Uh, but otherwise, I'll generally uh, throw it out there on the, uh, you know, the public repository. And uh, eventually, I'll get around to making a release that includes it. <laughs> now, I want to ask you specifically, because you've actually done a few other things in the Cocoa scene, too, that involve assembly, uh, like the Dagrath stuff that you've done. Did you use your own assembler for that? Or was that uh, done pre before? I did. Uh, it... Uh, Actually, uh, Daggereth uh, suggested a few modifications to the assembler uh, to uh, uh, to get things to be a little more sane so you could figure out what it was. Is there, all the graphics in there is a uh, just uh, it's structured bytes, but it just looks like a bucket of bytes. So I uh, in, in my source, I modified it with some macros to make it a little clearer what it was doing. Uh, so I, I used uh, so I, I definitely used uh, LWASM for that, uh, and then uh, the, another one is I recovered the or the disassembled the source for Temple of Rom. Uh, oh right, for, I forgot about that one. Uh, for the original uh, author with his blessing, <laughs> so uh, and that of course he's using uh, LWASM on that too. 
Yeah, I think he used LW Asm to do the Temple of Rom 2, his sequel version that he put out, didn't he? Which I think was no, based on your disassembly. On the, on the original disassembly. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I, I mean, you, you're that. writing your, your your ports of Unix tools that are originally written in C with DCC, correct? Yes. I Although anytime I do assembly stuff, I tend to use uh, LWASM for that. Like I was working on the, the uh, Mega Mini MPI uh, serial driver. Um, I use uh, LWASM for that. Okay. I, I use a mix of things depending on what I'm doing. Like if I'm doing just a quick little small utility in assembly, I'll just fire up the assembler right native in OS 9 because it's not that it's not that slow if you overclock it in an emulator or something. Um, but on larger projects like the Attack of Petsky robots, which is, you know, a fairly large program with a lot of data tables, yeah, I used LWASM because the standard assembler wouldn't be able to handle it or you have to shrink all your labels to be two characters long or something to get the symbol table to fit. Or <laughs> so. Yeah, you, you don't end up doing like, uh, was it Todd with his novels as labels? <laughs> yeah, those are yeah. crazy. <laughs> the labels go all the way to the right of the screen. Yeah. Yeah, you need like 500 columns just to fit a line. Yeah, that, that's where self-documenting code is getting a little, little too far for me to handle. <laughs> I see we have a John Doe in here. Would that be a Tormod John Doe? Did he make it? Uh, let's see. It's muted, whoever it is. Oh, not muted now. Yes, hello. Hello, we hear you. Is that Tormod? Yes, that's me. Oh, welcome, Tormod. Sorry for the trouble of getting you on here. So I, I, you probably haven't had a chance to watch the show because you're busy trying to get Zoom working. So um, uh, well, welcome to the show. We've got Jeff and, and William on here, too, as well. Uh, Deke and uh, Lost Wizard, if you might know them by, his, by their handles. Um, but it's, uh, we'll have to kind of catch you up here a bit, Tormod. So um, I guess the first thing is, where are you? Because you're actually not in North America. Oh, did you lose the audio? Can you hear us? I'm I'm not all, uh, all set up here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can't can hear you now. Can you hear us? Unfortunately, I have the uh, Coco Nation website open, so I hear uh, like an. Are oh, you hearing an echo? Yeah, I just kill that. Nobody watches it anyway. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> better. Yes, I'm uh, located in Europe, Switzerland. Okay. Um, so the first question I asked uh, our other panelists here was, what projects over the last 10, 15 years have you done that are either part of Nitrous 9 or software that runs within Nitrous 9 or is related to its development tools, et cetera? And you're kind of like the main guy in charge of the, the official version right now, aren't you? Well, kind of. I got into this uh, like 10 years ago. I, uh, I started, um, well, should I take the whole story? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're trying to get this for posterity, so yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was 10 years ago I, I picked up the, the Dragon again and uh, kind of continued the, where I went off uh, from childhood. And uh, I uh, started uh, with uh, uh, digitizing old tapes and stuff I had in the attic. 
and then I soon went on the internet and discovered new cool things like uh, the XROAR uh, emulation emulator and uh, and the drive wire which sounds really cool but I didn't really understand everything about drive wire Nitrous 9 uh, HDB DOS but I got into all this and uh, I well, I, I, I actually started with something um, uh, on the on the uh, on the on the dragon. You have this deload command, the same as you have on the cocos. Yeah, so you actually, can download a program off a serial port, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of similar, similar to to DriveWire. But on, uh, what is interesting is that the Dragon ROM uh, has the deload command and the the logic how it hooks up into the cassette loading uh, functions but it doesn't have the the serial port code or the bit banging code oh okay so so i made a modified uh, dragon rom where i included the uh, bit banging uh, routines from drivewire so i had deload running uh, but um, this was fun but then i i opted for uh, Going more uh, like a standard way of using DriveWire, and um, I um, ended up like porting HDB DOS to Dragon. Okay. And um, uh, for for this, uh, yeah, I, I had a Dragon thirty two, so I uh, I I started looking into making a, a memory expansion. I made like a. Actually, I wanted to make a ROM cartridge, but I was thinking, why not make it a RAM cartridge? And uh, uh, then I, I could uh, was able to run HDB DOS with 64K, which was like a fantastic. I mean, I I I, I only had like a Dragon 32 all, all my life, and a tape player, no no disk drives, so, so this was really fun. And uh, well, this kind of drove me into the natural direction of. Uh, or looking at uh, Nitrous 9, which uh, at that time uh, was, um, yeah, how should I say it? The, it was not in good state. It, it was like a, a public repository, but things didn't build. There were several uh, branches in the repository. Uh, there were... Uh, Little, there, yeah, there were, seemed like there had been a lot of work going on, but then it was kind of abandoned. And uh, I, I started trying to get this to work. And then I, since I, I have been working many like uh, open source projects and doing a uh, little, little bit of, uh, of um, uh, say, gardening or, or software, I, I started to, to tidy up things and uh, and try to. To join all these branches together, and and, and uh, also notice there are some regressions that have flip uh, have found their way in there, and I try to tidy up everything and make it build again. And so, now, uh, just to interject for just for a second here, was this kind of we were talking about this earlier before you joined the call, but there was that transition between Mamu and then going over to LWASM. Is that part of what was causing the problem with the the builds? Yes, uh, that was part of it. There was there was like a LW tools. Uh, branch and there was the old Manu branch and uh, they had diverged into yeah different ways and things were had been committed to one branch and not the other so it was not just a simple task to to bring this all together 
So uh, I spent quite some time on this, and uh, and then since then I've been kind of the uh, the the main maintainer of it, uh, trying to keep uh, things running and building, and uh, and uh, taking in patches from people, and uh, sometimes not taking in patches from people because <laughs> <laughs> they will break things. Yeah, yeah, I had a few of those, and you know you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've been trying to submit patches to you. Uh, I'm like one thing we were discussing too. It looks like there hasn't been an official. So I know those nightly builds you guys do. Um, do you have a plan at this point as to when the next official release, or do you need some more patches for me? I, I know I haven't quite sent you everything yet because I've got some debugging for 1.01 that I'm working on now. Stuff that was found in the wild once it went out. No, I'm actually wanting to make a release before I get too much new stuff in. It's uh, well, it's been dragging over years, right? And uh, people who've been watching this repository see there's not so much going on. And uh, I consider it now very stable. It's like uh, uh, it's a it's a very good time to to, to make a re release. It's been that for years now, but uh, it's uh, not much too new coming in lately. And uh, it's been tested by many people, so it's uh, time to make a new release and then afterwards pour in some of the new stuff from from you guys. Okay, cool. At the same time, I'm also maintaining the tool shed together with Tim Lindner and uh, Boise. And uh, I think the first thing on the agenda is to make a release of uh, a tool shed. Okay, and for the uh, for our uh, listeners and watchers here that aren't familiar with Toolshed, what what exactly does that entail? Like toolshed? what is Toolshed basically? Yeah. Well, it's the uh, it's the tools for making disk images and uh, all the other small operations that goes into uh, building a disk image of Nitrous Nine. I mean, it's not uniquely for. Or, or reserved for uh, Nitrous 9. It can be used for many things, but uh, it is an essential part of, of, uh, of building uh, uh, Nitrous 9, apart from the assembly, just to, to put all these uh, Im images, uh, build these disk images. Yeah, because it actually handles baking virtual hard drive images. It also handles doing disk basic images, et cetera. And you can even you know transfer stuff between the two different formats. Yes, exactly. And, and a few other things also. It can also make some... Tape, uh, tape, uh, um, VAM files, VAM files. Okay. Basically, I didn't, I didn't all, realize Tim was still involved with that. So that's, that's kind of cool. He is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, this is uh, over the last years. It's not like uh, everybody's working full time on this, but uh, it was not too long ago. Uh, uh, both Tim and Boise were uh, involved in uh, adding more, uh, yeah code and uh, fixing up stuff in in, in toolshed okay and the, the second component like uh, naturally for building nitrous nine is the lw tools by william yeah now from my understanding too this is the first time you guys have ever actually seen each other yeah definitely <laughs> <clears throat> now since uh game major couldn't make it <clears throat> but he sent me some uh, email responses. This is why I was going to interject these in here when this tournament was on. So I'll kind of get this caught up too. So what projects has he done over the last 10 to 15 years? He said he fixed a few bugs in the Sierra's Cocoa port of the AGI engine, the adventure game interpreter from Sierra. Uh, he's ported all of Sierra's official AGI games and 10 AGI fan games. 
And then he's also built Nutrison Archives for Drivewire, the Beckerport, Coco SDC, and DrivePack. Now, Beckerport is Gary Becker's, um, the guy who did the Coco FPGA. That's kind of a virtual port, if I remember correctly. I'm not that familiar with it. And then DrivePack, I think, was Roger Taylor's. Is that a, kind of his version of DriveWire or something? Does anybody know what that is? Kind of, yeah. Okay. And then the next question I'll give to Tormod as well to finish catching him up, and then I'll read uh, the response I got from uh, Guillaume as well. Um, so how did you get involved with Nitrous 9, and did you use it back in its commercial days or once it became open source? Or like, or I think you kind of mentioned you kind of stumbled on it uh, just when you were getting your Dragon up and running because the Nitrous 9 Level 1 was, had been released by that point. Because, of course, when we did it originally as a commercial product, it was Level 2 and 6 through 9 only, and that's completely changed over the years. Yes, uh, um, back in the days, I, uh, as I said, I only had this Dragon Thirty Two. There was no way you could play run any like real operating system on that, and I didn't have a disk drive. Uh, I heard about something called OS Nine, but I didn't look into it. Yeah, because it needed sixty four K pretty well for that at that yeah. point. Um, and that actually, I guess I haven't really asked Jeff or William that either. So, um, how did you guys get involved with Nitrous Nine slash OS Nine? Um, I guess both of them, because I think, William, you mentioned you did toy with OS9 back in the day, and then I don't know how you got directly into o Nitrous 9. Was that just because of the assembler? Or? It was, uh, uh, I guess that was part of it. Um, I uh, I ended up uh, in some sort of online chat at some point uh, where people were talking about OS9 stuff, and then I uh, I stumbled into the, the Nitrous 9 stuff, and... Uh, uh, poked around with it for a bit, uh, so I got I went okay. So this is this is OS nine now. So this is cool, uh, but mostly it I ended up uh, back into the scene after uh, DriveWire came out. Uh, I picked up a DriveWire cable and the software from uh, Cloud Nine, and uh, and then I messed around with getting that to work and discovered that it didn't work and. Then, <laughs> uh uh it had to find other things to figure out why it didn't work you know all that jazz uh <laughs> i messed with that for a bit then i got bored and went on to an, a new shiny uh <laughs> but back in the day um i i don't remember why uh but i ended up with uh, os9 level 2 uh the official one from uh, uh for some reason uh, on a on a Coco three, and I and I messed around with that quite a bit back in the day. Banged my head on not understanding how you make a uh, a uh, OS nine boot file properly. As uh, uh, the documentation was, uh, let's just uh, be honest. Tandy's documentation was garbage, or Microware's documentation uh, on that part of it was garbage. Yeah, uh, it was incomplete and. Uh, that's the best you can say about it. Uh, it, it. It was written by someone who knew how it worked intimately and didn't understand where people would trip on it, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so it was. Uh, I, I was kind of relieved that that uh, config uh, program thing existed, uh, even though it was slow and cumbersome. <laughs> Uh, I never really got past, uh, you know, just build something that handles a double-sided disk drive and uh, all of that, and then just mess with things, right? I never had a great system for OS 9. You know, I never had a hard drive or anything like that back in the day. 
Okay. And then Jeff, uh, how about you? Did you use Osine back in the day before you got into that? Oh, I did. Uh, I bought secondhand a floppy drive uh, for my Coco 2 at the time, which I it came with 64K, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, but as soon as I had a floppy drive and somebody, it was an OS 9 boot disk, and I was like, wow, this is this is all there is. I don't care about anything else. <laughs> that was the last time I used basic or disk basic. So this is level one you were talking about. This was level two. one, yeah. Uh, I was all in as soon as I had anything to do with it because it was a real operating system and you could do real stuff with it. Now, had you already been using Unix or Linux at this point when you did? No, no, this, this no. was in 1988. I had had, I just barely had access to uh, a public access Unix system in about a year earlier, uh, over 300 baud modem. Uh, Ooh, speed! Yeah, blistering. <laughs> um. But yeah, I didn't really get it at the beginning. But once I'd gotten into OS 9 a little bit, it started to make a lot more sense. Uh, and that got me into like System 3 Unix and System 5 and then eventually Linux and things like that. Uh, when I finally got a Coco 2 or Coco 3 in, I think, 91... Also, like right near the end of its life, type thing. Oh yeah. <clears throat> also secondhand, it came with no screws. <laughs> uh, and discovered level two. Uh, then I was, I had no longer had any use for a Coco two. <laughs> so I sold that to a friend and got uh, a CM eight and all the the fun stuff. And that was pretty much my my work system, my workaday system until I eventually uh, got a PC in like ninety three or ninety four or something like that. But uh, I never really left the Cocoa. Never really left uh, programming stuff on a on OS nine. That was why I did it. I wanted to. I wanted to code. Everything involved in the Coco was always about code. Okay, so you did you actually get the C compiler back then too, and I RMA did not. and that kind of stuff? Oh, you didn't. So you were just using yeah. like the Basic 09 that came with level two. Or? I was using Basic 09. I did some stuff with XLisp. Um, I wrote a uh, a version or a a an interface to the uh, the display codes. Uh, for XLisp and did that for a while. I don't think I ever uploaded it anywhere, and I, I, I don't think I have that disk anymore. <laughs> but it's it exists somewhere. That'd be nice to get that on the archive, uh, just yeah. for posterity's sake. But I, I wrote a lot of Basic 09. Um, I think I messed a little bit with Small C, uh, but it wasn't very good and it was very slow. And so I, I would always went go back to Basic 09, which I always used with the uh, the Walrus operator. 
and not the, the the standard basic equals operator because I was obsessed with Pascal. <laughs> Colon equals. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get into Nitrosine then? Uh, not until oof, 2005, 2006. Uh, I, I discovered uh, Boise's uh, Cocoa OS9 repository. It eventually got added uh, when you when you gave him the, your source. Uh, I discovered that was 2003, that, I think I did that. And then Alan Decock helped him convert some of it to Mamu back then. I remember that. Yeah. But that was uh, my first real introduction to Nitrous 9 because I did not have a 6309 in any of my cocos. Yeah. So by that time, they'd started backporting it to the 6809 already. So that's what you you worked with, or did you get a 6309 yeah. by 2004 or five? Uh, I didn't get a 6309 until probably 2014, 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, that's a question for Tormod and William, too. Um, <clears throat> did you guys, when you guys started working with Nitrous 9, did you guys do the 6309 version? Or did you guys use the 6809 version? And what do you use today if, if you're still using it? Yeah, I can start. I, I'm i not the one who has used Nitrous 9 the, the most. I, <laughs> I spend more time... Uh, Nurturing the, the code and the building and uh, making it build, uh, not so much running it. And uh, uh, I have bought some 6309 uh, processors. Uh, I have tried it a little bit, but uh, not much. I, I pretty much stay to the standard 6809. But actually, I could add that I also spend a little time on on um, Getting both six eight to nine and six three nine builds to to work, so to okay. build and work. So you generally probably use emulators more for for your side of things, I would guess. Uh, that's true. Also, because then I can get to to work on this while traveling. I, I can't. I, okay, I, I cannot drag my dragon along all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially considering it's getting hard to find monitors at. Uh, or sorry, TVs at uh, hotels you could actually plug it into. <laughs> yeah. And and William, in your case, uh, I did uh, I did uh, mess around with the sixty three hundred nine stuff when I got back into things. Um, then uh, I mostly got out of uh, messing with the actual physical hardware uh, due to space limitations, among other things. As we can tell, uh, looking at your background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, it, it, then I started uh, messing around with uh, other things uh, that needed to work on any any old machine, so I couldn't rely on the sixty three hundred nine stuff. Uh, so then I kind of got back out of it, but uh, I do mess with it occasionally. Uh, and, and if I'm gonna bring up uh, Nitrous Nine on something, it's probably gonna be the sixty three hundred nine version. Uh, just because of the uh, generally improved performance, among other things. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I did bring up an emulator with either processor, no problem. So, uh, yeah. you know, so if I was going to mess with it, that's I'd probably do that. But, uh, yeah, I do have a machine that has a 6309 in it, in a box. Uh, <laughs> it has no screws in it and no keyboard and, <laughs> you know, uh, 
What are these things uh, called uh, screws you guys keep talking about? <laughs> I think it's something Tandy originally installed. Uh, well, I, I do remember removing them from this one because they were getting in the way of uh, taking things apart. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, I did use the 6309 stuff. I, I picked up a couple from Cloud9 way, way, way back. Uh, I think before I was even messing with uh, LWASM. Uh, so uh, I've been aware of it for quite a while at the very least. Okay. I'll just read a, a game's uh, response to He said, I didn't know either OS9 or Nitrous 9 before returning back to the Coco scene around 2003. I got involved when he began porting the AGI game. So that was his whole impetus for, for getting into that. Now, since you guys are mentioning stuff about emulator stuff, because it's a lot easier to work on stuff you can overclock and whatever else, I was just wondering, uh, snapshot of today, what is your emulator of choice? We'll go uh, Jeff, then William, then Tormod. I use and a custom meme. What's that? I use a meme. Uh, with a, a little bit of a custom thing that I can, under software control, kick it up to uh, 10 times normal speed. Uh, and then bump it back down when I want it to be slow. Things like that. Cool. But do you keep that up to date with all the main releases? Or do you have a stable one that you kind of stick with? Uh, right now, I think I'm on 237 or something like that. Uh, I do keep a, it's a, it is a patch that I apply to any new version I get into it. I just haven't bothered recompiling recently. Okay. William? Uh, I usually use uh, MAME just because it's, uh, it's got the, uh, uh, the debugger that uh, is really useful when you're uh, debugging a custom ROM that you have been messing with and have never actually released anywhere. Uh, <laughs> uh uh, occasionally, I'll uh, I'll use XROAR as well, uh, as uh, I find that it tends to emulate some stuff uh, quite a lot better uh, with a lot less uh, weirdness. Uh, but it's also a little bit of a uh, challenge to get it uh, configured the way you want it to uh, the first time. <laughs> I think Sixty's been working on that. Yeah, and then Tormod. Yeah, for me it's uh, XROAR all the way. <laughs> I love six. Eh? <laughs> that's that's yeah. He's usually he's in the chat. I don't know if he is today. I haven't seen him yet, yeah, yeah. but I haven't been monitoring that close. Um, now I know he's got an external debugger in XROAR now. Have Tormod, have you or William used the external debugger? I'm just wondering how it compares to Mames. Uh, what what I'm using with XROAR is uh, GDB, the GNU debugger, which is a general tool for all kind of platforms and. Uh, Luckily, uh, Sixy he built a, a small uh, like uh, GDB uh, support stub uh, inside XROAR, and uh, that's quite cool. Have you tried that, William? In, in your case, or I haven't. I I every time I've uh, done anything with GDB, I've just like bounced right off it. <laughs> it uh, uh, I find it uh, uh, too um, cumbersome for what I've needed to do with it uh, most of the time. Uh, it's fine for debugging a, a C program or something like that on, on a, a Unix box, uh, as long as you've got the debug symbols and the source code. Uh, yeah. But uh, I find it uh, too cumbersome when I need to get into detailed stuff and uh, when I need to actually stop it, uh, stop the code running in an interrupt or something like that. 
Okay. And, and Jeff, have you fiddled with the GDB with XOR? Uh, not with XOR, no. I use it a lot for debugging my code. But I, well, I don't use I don't use it directly. I go through a front end called DDD, which is a a motif based uh, debugger front end uh, that does all the fancy stuff. Yeah, okay. GDB is very command line oriented, and uh, but there is like this like this user interfaces that you can tap on top, like this uh, DDD. I can also mention that over the last uh, months, I've been looking at uh, importing symbols into GDB from from the files generated by uh, by uh, LW tools, so that um, I can make breakpoint at uh, labels, not not figuring out not the, or looking up the address, but directly on labels. I find this very useful. For uh, I've been <laughs> debugging a lot on um, Fusix lately. Okay, got a couple of comments from the chat here. I'll mention plus uh, Mark, if you've seen any uh, stuff on the other chats that aren't coming through. Yes, I have um, a lot. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I'll just do a couple quick ones here. So first of all, Ter Tom Eric Anderson says, "Tormod, you live in Switzerland, but you are Norwegian, correct?" Well, oh, you're muted. That's correct, yes. Okay. And then Fred Provanches has a comment. He said, I bought OS9 from Radio Shack in 1988 after reading glowing reports about it at Rainbow. The advertisement of the Radio Shack catalog bragged about how you could use the full 64K workspace, and that got me very curious about it. So I bought it. I loved it. And for me, there was no turning back. It was OS9 after that. Same as Jeff, same as me. Um, and then, Mark, uh, you want to bring in some stuff from the chats that you've been monitoring? Yeah. So a um, couple that you missed on... Uh... Facebook and on YouTube. Um, so Mr. Dave 6309 said, Williams Assembler has made programming in assembly a pleasure. Uh, Tech Todd, that's Lord Dragon, uh, said also Coco IRC was written for and built with LW tools. Oh, he also said he resents those comments about his comments. Grin. <laughs> <laughs> Frederick Provence also said, uh, DCC is awesome. Thank you for your work on that. Um, Let's see, another comment from Mr. Dave about LW Assembler makes 6809 assembly fun experience. Tech Todd, oh, LW Tools and Toolshed Disk Management Tools are my go-to for dev. And uh, Frederick also says thank you for uh, Toolshed as well. So actually, I use that too with stuff. So I appreciate it. Oh, and I, I have a move, but I've never plugged it into anything yet. So anyway, I will someday. It's like Lord Dragon, we're fine with your uh, late with your comments. But your labels are out of control. <laughs> There's probably a couple more in here, but I haven't found them yet again. So I'll keep looking. Get back to me. Okay. <clears throat> a couple of uh, Rick Yuland um, says, OSN Level 2 first appeared as a boot disk on new Tandy games. It was interesting to try Level 1 utilities on a Tandy game. I do remember the story that Kevin Darling and them actually you know, jury-rigged a, a, a hodgepodge of level one and level two because they took rogue because that came out a month or two two months i think actually before level two itself got released right it showed up on CompuServe, so i had to play with it too and yeah it worked sort of yep sort of <laughs> <laughs> and then facebook user i don't know if that's mark siegel or somebody else but he said the screws were there for shipping purposes <laughs> that sounds like uh, a mark siegel thing i got a couple more comments here from a few people 
Okay. Also, Tormod disappeared. Is he still on the call? Or? I should be back now. I think his video is gone. Right? Oh, he's oh there he is. I see him on the top row there. I don't know. Mark, did he just get knocked off the panel? Um, okay. I'm looking. You find him. I'll add him back in. Put him back. Okay, so Mark, go ahead with the questions in the meantime. So, or Curtis, six, 60 said he's in the chat. He's just hidden from your eyes. So, yeah, he's okay. been making comments. And he did say hi to Tormod also. Uh, Mikey N6IL, that's uh, Pi Drivewire, Mikey. Uh, he says, sure, on all these projects, DCC, LWASM, Toolshed. Uh, and Tech Todd says, hey, yeah, out of control is how I roll. <laughs> Okay, next question for everybody, <clears throat> and I'll save uh, games to the last. Uh, what projects, if any, uh, are you working on now that are related to Nitrous 9 or its development, and do you have any future projects in the work that you would like to talk about or maybe get feedback on? And uh, I'll just go in the order of Jeff, then William, then Tormod. Um, well, let's see. Right now I'm working on continuing to work on splitting up the the uh, the, the compiler into two passes to eventually get it to ANSI and hopefully ISO compatible. Um, let's see. I'm always looking for more C code out there. If anybody's got any source code that they have, even if it doesn't work, uh, like we'll find, I'll find a way to make it work. <laughs> um, uh, archiving old source, like collating it and putting it into its proper time uh, for just to archive it for posterity. Yeah, actually, uh, just to bring that up, you've, you've actually researched like the original C compilers in the make program as the Coco got them and you found their their ancestors basically on other platforms, right? Yeah. That's actually what I like all of the 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 ports that we have of other stuff. I've been looking for the original versions of that so that I can figure out where it came from, what was what what exactly was changed to make it uh, port to the cocoa, and hopefully using that to apply the same patches to newer and newer versions so that we get uh, the updates from uh, further versions of those softwares. Okay. And obviously, your documentation is an ongoing project as well. Yeah, was well, like for William? the second year oh, sorry, in a row, good. I missed uh, the 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 deadline for uh, printing uh, copies of it. Oh yeah, because you were planning on bringing printing copies to the fest there. I yeah, you'd mentioned yeah. I just don't bother promising that ever. <laughs> you can download the PDF. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, William. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything uh, on the go or planned related to Nitrous 9 at the moment. Uh, mostly, I guess, it's uh, if somebody trips on a problem in uh, in LW tools that needs fixing or something like that, uh, then uh, that's, that's the sort of thing I'll poke at. Or uh, if someone has questions about uh, how the processor works or something, I guess. Uh, but... I don't have any actual projects. Okay. Now, is that because you're you're kind of running your own business now and you're super busy or are you just kind of taking a break or are you doing this basic stuff or other stuff entirely or if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I've uh, kind of got uh, sidetracked with uh, new shinies uh, all, all over the place. Uh, 
I'm really good at starting projects. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, so, uh, if you need someone to start a project, I'm your guy. You need someone <laughs> to finish the project less, uh, <laughs> less on finishing them up. <laughs> <laughs> so, which makes it even more impressive. LW tools actually happened. So, <laughs> uh, no, I, I've been distracted by other, other stuff. Uh, and I got sucked into a game too. So, uh, that, uh, is, is it a mud perchance? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, I I won't uh, mention what it is either. Uh, it's uh, uh, you know we we can talk about it on the Discord or something in off topic, but it's not really relevant here. Okay, and then Tormod. Yes, first I want to thank thank William for his work on uh, GCC for six eight oh nine. It's also much appreciated. Um. Now, for my plans about Nitrous 9, I, yeah, obviously this this uh, release uh, thing, right? We want to have some more releases and incorporate all the good stuff from uh, the ease of use uh, distribution and kind of make sure that we have a, uh, a common Nitrous 9 repository where uh, that people can know they get all the right stuff and use this for, for building applications on top. Okay, I'm assuming like uh, Jeff, your your DCC is part of this too. Like it'll become part of the distribution. Is that? I have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you know, uh, Tomrat? Are you planning on including DCC and stuff in there as well? Or um, I, I I'm not familiar with that uh, project. I understand it's a C compiler. I find that uh, really cool. Uh, I think uh, we would like to probably like to have that inside the repository. But I mean, if 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 if, if uh, people are working on their software and maintaining it, maintaining it separately, that, that's fine too. I mean, that uh, doesn't have to absorb everything. It, uh, I, I think it's more important that uh, that we have uh, the, the 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 operating system foundations maintained in Nitrous Nine. Agreed. Yeah. Now um, I can also add that. Uh, I have ported Nitrous 9 to my uh, Moo uh, memory extension card and uh, level two. And uh, this is also something I, I would like to come more back to. I've been sidetracked by working on Fusix uh, on uh, on uh, Dragon and Coco. And um, eventually I will get back to Nitrous 9. Uh, I think it's also interesting to talk a little bit about, about Fusix and, and compare it to Nitrous 9. It's a, it's a more complete and uh, true Unix, but this also means it takes more resources. And I think for, for these machines, I find uh, Nitrous 9 is it's a, it's a better fit. It's more the, the, the sweet, it's the sweet point there of, of resources available. So yeah. I, I kind of find uh, Nitrous 9 uh, uh, technically, as interested as uh, as interesting as as Fusix, it's just that I I I've always been a, a fond uh, admirer of of Unix, and uh, I really like the run a Unix kind of operating system on, on my computers, on my old uh, Dragon computers and and Cocoa computers. Okay, now just for those people that don't know what it is, what exactly is the Moo? I know what it is, but I just want for the viewers and listeners that aren't familiar with that. It's an uh, ex expansion card that fits into the cartridge slot that has um, 
512 case of uh, RAM and a, um, a, a ROM uh, slot and uh, uh, a SD card uh, interface. So here you go. Yeah. And uh, um, it actually is uh, the, the SD card uh, goes through a uh, SPI interface. So it's actually as an SPI interface. And uh, the the uh, memory management system is the the MMU is uh, pretty much compatible to what you have in the Coco three. So yeah, and this uh, actually works on like a Dragon sixty four Coco one and two, right? Like this is meant to upgrade yeah, those Dragon, to five twelve K within. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dragon thirty two even. So uh, I mean, I, I have a, a precursor to this, uh, which also had five hundred twelve. Okay, but that was more like a, a banking version of the first like 32k, like the old uh, yeah, who the heck yeah, used yeah. to make them. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mid RAM yeah. Corp was one yeah. I remember off the top yeah. of my head, but yeah. And uh, uh, I built that initially to to get something working with with Fusix, but uh, then I I wanted to go further and make something that I could run uh, Nitrons Nine Level Two on, and then uh, I decided to to make it as close as possible to the memory management of the Coco Three. Yeah, because then the drivers are, you know, a bit more done already. Ready yeah, for you. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the the port was relatively simple, actually. I mean, it runs fine. It doesn't have the graphics as the Coco Three, but uh, the the rest, the common line. Do, do you have a windowing system? Can you have multiple VDG screens running at the same time? Did, did you go that far? I, I didn't go that far. Uh, it should be pretty feasible to have several text screens switch between yeah. like that's one something i always wanted to implement in level one actually is because it's yeah, uh yeah. if i yeah. text screen and there is only 512 yeah, bytes yeah. it's not that big but that would be a, a long-term goal for me to make some kind of or for someone else to make a uh, simple graphical interface for uh for, say for the dragon or coco 2 so uh, so that you could do some uh, maybe a, a small windowing system or something like this okay now, just fill in, fill in from Gleam here. So his response to projects he's working, he says he's not working on any Nitrogen projects now, but he would like to eventually port other AGI fan games because I guess there's more than the 10 he's already done. And so we went back and forth on a couple of questions. I'll just do these here so we've got everything that uh, Gleam sent me. And I asked him, I said, have you ever thought of creating your own homebrew or fan game using the AGI engine? And he said, yes, but developing an AGI game requires good artist skills to make backgrounds and sprites for animations, which I, unfortunately I don't have. I know exactly what he means. I was trying to create an arcade game recently, and I had the same problem. Um, then I asked him, have you thought of uh, making a program for creating an AGI game other under Nitrosine itself or via a host operating system to target the Coco? And he said, no, there's already very good AGI editors out there like AGI Studio and WinAGI that have been ported on multiple platforms. So it would be kind of redundant. And then the last one I asked him was, any thoughts on making a 639 optimized version of the engine, something that I thought about myself and actually made some notes in the source code? Um, just not sure when I get to it because like Jeff and William and, and Tormod, I have a ton of other projects going at the same time, competing for my attention. And he said the AGI port in the Coco could definitely benefit from a six or an optimized version. Rooms that have larger sprites tend to slow down the game. I often had to modify game scripts to enable some animations at a certain times only. However, I think the best improvement would be to allow background music by supporting one of the several sound devices, but it involves playing with interrupts and precise timing, and I'm not quite there yet. So that's uh, from Guillaume. Um, so I guess um, 
just to, I, I guess that's pretty well all the questions I had. We kind of got a history of what's happened in the last 10 years with you guys. And, and it's great to hear from Tormod that uh, a new version of the official repository of Nitrous 9 will be coming out. And that'll cover Nitrous 9 level 1, 6809, 6309, Dragon, Coco, the whole bit, the Moo board, etc. So looking forward to seeing that. Do you have a timetable on that, Tormod, or just soon? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's been dragging on for some years, so don't hold your breath. <laughs> okay. Um, and then just any final thoughts on, on Nitrous 9 or development for Nitrous 9 or developer tools uh, from the three of you? Uh, and have you used each other's stuff, I guess? That's another question. Oh, I use Nitrous 9. I use LWASM. Uh, one thing I it might be useful. Um, I did not learn C until about 2000. So, uh, I, 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 doing the compiler stuff, um, it's never too late. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a hint to me, perhaps? (laughs) William, any final thoughts? Oh, not really. I think we've pretty much covered everything. Uh, I, I, I'd probably be using DCC or whatever if, uh, if I was doing any anything that targeted uh, uh, OS nine or Nitrous nine, uh, it uh, it seems like the uh, best available option that we have at the moment, and it looks like it's going to get better as time passes. Uh, so uh, it seems to be where it's at. Like I toyed with the thought of uh, building a C compiler type thing for uh, LW tools, and then went, wait a minute. Uh, somebody else got there with C mock and, 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 uh, everything else. I'm like, uh, and am I going to actually put the focus in to actually get it done? Probably not. So <laughs> <laughs> this is that, uh, starting projects thing again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm oh, sorry, trying to, uh, uh, I'm trying to not start a project with, uh, I, I, <laughs> Uh, occasionally trying to convince uh, William to uh, accept uh, RMA style source code for uh, uh, for LWASM because I don't want to so maintain <laughs> I don't want to maintain a Linux version of the assembler. <laughs> uh, the problem is I uh, I don't know how compatible uh, the internals are to make it happen. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's where the stumbling block is. Uh, there's no particular reason we can't add a pragma that has a different source format or something like that. It's just, uh, uh, I find the way RMA does things highly illogical and I just can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> just going to write a preprocessor that takes the RMA and cranks out LWASM and then you run it through the normal process. Possible. Well, that might yeah. work, uh, but then you run into uh, some of the compatibility problems as well uh, on the internals. Uh, so uh, I, I haven't actually tried it, and it's mostly because I don't have a particularly big interest in doing it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, uh, like in principle, it could be done. Uh, I just don't know how invasive it would be in the internals. 
I think Tormod uh, didn't. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Jeff. Yeah, the, the, the only difference really is that uh, I think the RMA uses like a Unix style uh, way of uh, formatting itself, like the, the, the actual source code. So, like when you have a uh, a label, if it's a global label, it ends in a colon. If it's local, it doesn't. That's it. <laughs> I think there is support for that already in there. Uh, but uh, it's all of that, the PSEC uh, business that it does that uh, uh, yeah. uh, I've never yeah, been able to wrap my head around. <laughs> CSEC is the weird one. What's that? Defining constants? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you discover you need some way to find to define constants in your object files uh, after enough time fiddling with projects. <laughs> hey, Tormod, any any final thoughts uh, from you on? Well, I I look forward to testing out DCC on uh, on Nitrous Nine Level Two on Maldragon. It will be really fun to compile C code on Maldragon. That will be fantastic. Especially with the move there, where you've got enough RAM to properly run it yeah. with larger programs. I need I need to make sure that it actually works on because I think the the move has a different uh, addressing scheme. Uh, no, not really. No, it doesn't. It's patterned it does. after the Cocoa Three, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's 8K MMU blocks like the code 3. I mean, you I mean if, you, if your code is compatible with Nitrous 9, it shouldn't right. matter so much what the underlying implementation is. Right. Well, I think uh, at least some of the builds I have uh, use the optimization to eliminate uh, the... the. It goes into uh, absolute addressing. Oh, okay. Instead of using uh, the Y relative or U relative. Mm-hmm. So if you have, because I seem to remember you had a thing where there was a hole in your memory. Yeah, how to reserve some space for uh, for the graphics screen on the right. Dragon 32. Yeah, because it has to stay in the main motherboard yeah. RAM. It can't yeah. go into yeah. the move RAM. Right. Yeah. So I think that code for, intended for the, the move won't be able to use the level two optimizations. Um, yeah, you're, you're going a little bit out of the uh, standard for, uh, for OS 9. Yeah. Yeah. We'll probably figure out a way to make it work. But yeah, I think that's, I think we'll, all we have to do is disable the, the level two optimizations because mm -hmm. most other uh, level two systems each program gets a mem gets memory starting at zero and goes all the way up to the program. Yeah, like a gimmick system or a smoke signal chieftain or something like that. They all did the same because yeah. they didn't have to have this reserved area for the video. Yeah. So if there's a hole in memory, then you probably probably have to work around that and not use that optimization. But that's okay. Yeah. It's just a, it's yeah. just a command yeah. line option. Yeah, yeah. Or you just uh, you just uh, give up the the screen for a second while you run this thing. True. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think that covered everything I had. Um, any more questions from Mark here before we let yeah, these guys I have, go? I have a couple more comments here I found. Um, oh, uh, 60 made a comment about uh, assembler stuff. Uh, TSC-style local labels. I don't think that was probably aimed at William. 
rather than geek. Yes. And Tixie also said, I think this was in response to uh, whoever it was that um, got the OS 9 and never went back to RS-DOS. He said, I might have been like that with the OS 9 boot disk if the copy I had been gotten hadn't been in Spanish. So obviously that was a stumbling <laughs> block for him. Uh, Mr. Ladd says he likes to switch between main VCC and XROAR. And uh, Frederick uh, said, once control is done, pretty much done, he'd like to move on with something else, maybe a new version of the calendar app from what goes with MultiView. I bet you'll use DCC for that too. Uh, and I believe that's everything I found. Mm-hmm. I apologize if I missed somebody's comments, but I've been looking through for stuff. So I know Mark Siegel, uh, you know, formerly of Tandy, he says uh, maybe we can get an AI to write it, but I can't remember what that was in reference to. Oh, uh, that comment about the screws, that was Brian Wiesler, uh, not Mark Siegel. Oh, okay. And I do know that new calendar needs iCal support, so we can just kind of import our files right into MultiView there. He can work with Lord Dragon on that. Yeah, he's already got an iCal-based thing going, just not a full calendar for MultiView. Anyway, I want to thank you guys uh, for coming on. I know we've been trying to work on getting this to go for months, and, uh, you know, Jeff in particular has a particularly hard schedule to get on the show live. We had to wait for a holiday. <laughs> um, and of course, Tormod's in Europe, so the time zone change difference there. As you can tell, it's pitch black where he is. <laughs> but I want to thank you all for coming on and uh, sharing your experiences and the, all the projects you've worked on in the past, the projects that you're still working on, if that applies to you. And um, for recording this history of, of the development of Nitrous 9, because this is a decade up until the last five years, I know almost nothing about because I was kind of out of it completely. I was kind of like burned out from doing it, as I've talked about with when we interviewed Boise. I, you know, after doing it for eleven years straight, it was just like I don't want to want to look at Nitrous Nine Code anymore for a while. So, and I've kind of got the bug again, so back into it full force. But uh, there's a lot of this history I didn't know. So thanks, thanks for sharing. And uh, you guys are welcome to stay around for the rest of the show if you want. We've got the game on challenge stuff. We've got the news coming up and a whole bunch of stuff. But that's a couple more hours, which you probably. Have better things to do. I'm sure William wants to get back to his game. Um. <laughs> Frederick says that he will have iCal support. Oh, cool! Nice. And networking, yay! But you guys are welcome to stay, um, or if you guys want to just hang out for a little bit, you can. I should mention that uh, William and uh, Jeff, if you guys have any questions about uh, the LW tools, the LW assembler, DCC, any of the Unix tools that he's uh, Jeff supported, they're both very active on our Cocoa Discord. And I'll let somebody post the link to that in the chat. Now, Tormod, are you on the Cocoa Discord? No, I'm not. Okay, I'm we should invite you. It's Cocoa free. We don't, we don't, you know, force sales of stuff onto you or anything like that. And it's a very active community. There's an active dragon section too. Karen's a regular on it, uh, amongst others. So, oh, I like the shirt. <laughs> but you should definitely join in too, because I mean, we, we can kind of keep up with you and maybe help you out testing some of the builds, etc. When you when you get to the point of releasing the next official release of Nitrous Nine. Yeah. We also have a Fusix section. We have an XROR section. Yep. Actually, one of the main guys behind Fusix on there, too. Uh, what's his name? Red. Red got the big beard. That's all I remember. Oh, big beard. Alan. Alan. Uh, Alan Cox. That's yeah. That yeah, thank you. Yeah, so you can even talk to Fusix stuff on there, too, if you wanted to. So, anyway, thanks, guys. I think we'll go to commercial break here, because I'm sure Ron has to go to the bathroom. And yes, Thank uh, you, gentlemen, for your associated projects and what they mean to us yes thank you yeah thanks very much
awesome thing you guys have done over the long time. Okay, here we go. Awesome. The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Hey, Amy. Hey, The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Ascom, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, John, Boat of Car Schaller, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Cloward says, I guess I'm Steve today. Right now exploring BBSs with Synchronet, coding in QB64, and trying to learn some assembly are what I'm doing. While looking up the original computers I discovered the Tandy channels and found my way here. Mostly I like to create stuff. I like seeing passionate communities. The Joyful Programmer says, My name is Walter W. While I currently do not have any of the retro systems, I started coding in 1982 on a Timex Sinclair ZX81 then moved on to the Apple IIe, Apple IIc, Commodore VIC-20, Commodore 64, TI-94A, and Color Computer 3, all which I had absolutely enjoyed coding on. What am I looking for? I'm not sure really. Maybe reignite the flames of the days of old. Possibly even get to chat with people who enjoyed those older machines like I did or even more. Templar X says, name, Brian. Retro systems, computer-wise, only an Atari 800XL currently set up. Had a C128 since childhood and over the years have collected a few different retro computers that I periodically take out and play around with, including the Coco 2. Heard about this Discord channel on Atari Age. Looking for games and terminal info on the Coco, and potentially modern hardware add-ons for it, SD cards, improved video, etc. Feeblomatic says, your name, Dave. Your systems, I started in the 80s with a 4K Coco 1, and worked my way up to a 64K Coco 2 which I still have to this day. How do you retro, I enjoy learning about how the Coco ROM works, doing some assembly coding, animating graphics, 
and playing the occasional game. Looking for? Just curious what folks are up to and what you're all talking about. Michael H says, Hello, Michael H, Arkansas, long time of Tandy computers. Sean Rocks says, I'm Sean, aka Geek with Social Skills on YouTube. I've been an Apple II user since the 1970s and a C64 user since 1983. Recently I got into the Coco 2 thanks to Timbo Tech who donated a Coco 2 to me. I now have a Coco 3 and ready to dig into the world of color computing. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Kev Hole, Nightbeard, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Shaft. And we had a total of 15 participants. We had Damon Beals and Ed Rhodes tied for 14th with 3190. Coconut Bob 3920. Sabhead, 39.80. Shen Lee, 42.60. El Curtis Boyle, 7,050. Rich N, 7,500. Mr. Dave, 6309, 83.10. Mark B, 9,050. Sloopy usual. Malibu, 91.70. Canadian Retro Things, 9,900. 8 Bits in the Basement, 9910. Buck Owens, 10,680. Jim Rye, 12,100. And this week's number one score came from. Tasman, with 12,190. Thanks to everybody that participated this week, and we will see you again next week. Which game was that? That was for Shaft. Neutroid. That was the one we all so got. So no, no, we didn't post your zero score yet, Ron. That's next week. Okay. So we need to give Buck Owens a wellness like being check. being on the top. <laughs> what was that, Rick? So do we need to give Buck Owens a wellness check? He's been kind of fading. He's been kind of busy on some of the Amigo stuff, too, because they've got Game on Challenges for the Spectrum and the Amiga and some other stuff, too. So I think he's been... I was just going to say, he seems a little off his game here. He just he just doesn't like us as much as he used to. Yeah, he's also just as disappointed as Ken and I that Nick is working on this stupid Neutroid Part 3 instead of the game he should be working on. So no, that's I think what he feels he's the same way. He's probably yeah, the other game, same as us. He doesn't play all the other, other, other stuff. He's waiting on Neutroid. <laughs> He's tired of all right. by all these games. All right, I'm putting a fork in the Neutroid talk now. <laughs> let's talk about Shaft. All right, well, first off, let's start out with the Rainbow of December 1984, where I did find some high scores for this game. 
12,220. And uh, you'll notice that uh looks like the brother two scores submitted were a brother and sister, or it could have been husband and wife. Or mother, father, father. Anyways, daughter. relatives, it looks like probably in the same home. Canadians, too. Anyways, 12,220, so that's very on par with what we were scoring. Uh, so they're Canadian scores, so they're about... Eight, uh, seven thousand and ten thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a conversion in the shaft scores, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Either way, you get shafted. And now in Rainbow July of '84, um, this review did praise the game for being like no other game on the market. Um, basically, said that there are no strategies to think out, uh, think out, uh, no decisions to be made. The whole game is a question of timing and doesn't give any bonus men, which I'm not sure that I ever got high enough that I would have even noticed. Um, I want to go say that it was so hard that he didn't think children would find it at all possible to play it. Um, And the random patterns often make it impossible to continue without getting killed, which is definitely something I also noticed. Um. Then uh, he got into the what he really thought of the game and basically says that he would have expected better offerings. The graphics were not spectacular. The gameplay left something to be desired, but it is unlike any other game, so should be credited for being an original work. So I would say that that guy did not like the game terribly much. Sounded like a close pin on the nose. <laughs> I can't say he's wrong on any of his points. No. <laughs> Oh, and I think he nailed it. In the December 83 of Color Computer Magazine, um, this uh, reviewer did say that uh, there are places on the second and third levels they found impossible to get through um, and figured it may have been a flaw in the program, a flaw in them, or a flaw in the joystick. But they would say it was the program. And uh, the opening title graphics are nice. The rest of the graphics are glitchy and with a lot of screen flicker, which is annoying. And it happens every time that he moves that the screen freezes momentarily. Um, because uh, it, it stops the uh, elevators moving every time you move. So it's only moving one of the things at, at a time. Um, but they did get to know which... Setups were useless and would kill themselves off right away because there's no way of getting by it. So unless you're going for high scores, that's a pretty sound way to do it. Uh, the instruction sheet is short and simple. I don't know. I don't think we ever found instructions for this game, did we? No, I don't think so. Um, although they did not include any uh, thing about how the scoring is done because and. Uh, they were a little confused because there didn't seem to be a lot of reasoning behind the scoring. Um, a lot of the things that you get points for are very not obvious. And according to the construct, the instruction sheet, the highest score at that the produ- the people that made the game were able to get was fifteen thousand three hundred and thirty. So basically, we all got more than two thirds. A bunch of us got more than two thirds as far as the actual creators of the game ever got so uh this reviewer however did like the game and found it addicting so 
Um, for, for me, it's it's uh, that is true. I mean, the game is original. The game does have fun to it. It's just that it should have been set up in such a way that you don't get impossible levels at random, mm-hmm. where you can start a game and you just can't do anything. Like you, you yeah. can't possibly like, get through it. That you can usually get past the first, bo- the bottom level, but then the closer to the middle you get, the more impossible it gets. Just because of the spacing of the elevators. So well, all they really had to do is just have it so that a couple of the elevators, maybe every second one or something, is a little bit different speed than yeah. the other ones, so that you would have at least had the ability to at least wait yeah. out. There's no timer. So they that all, was just a design. But they all flaw. went exactly the same speed. So no matter how long you waited, the uh it was just stayed as as impossible as ever. Yeah. That'd be the biggest flaw of the game. I know there's some other things like the graphical. You know, it was meant for 16K, if I remember, so they probably didn't yeah. double buffer it, so they had flickering and stuff like that. I, I can handle that because if it's due to memory restrictions, I, you know, I'm okay with that. But the yeah. design flaw of having the game literally impossible to get past a level, especially if you randomly got that as a first level, too. I mean, that just, mm-hmm. that's just bad. Well, like that's comments free- here from um, the, the chat room here, too. Buck Owen says, should have a reversing mechanism like Shark Treasure. We can hit the button and the elevators change direction and go the other way. Oh, yeah. That would help with the uh, yeah, I noticed, getting through it. I noticed the stutter when, when you go to move, everything stops. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that was very helpful in getting past some of the ones that were not that far apart. Yeah. That seemed to be one of the one of the key things was leveraging that for your best advantage. But that. it didn't always work. <laughs> no. I liked it when you get the, when the elevators were all just straight across. Yeah. I actually got that two times in a row uh, on the first level and then right away again on the second I level. I was that's how I get, that's how I got my high score. <laughs> I never got up the first level. I got up to the top row and died. So that was as far as I got. I was happy happy. second level. I've gotten to the second level before when I played it years ago when I did the web page, but I didn't didn't this round at all. Got close. So any tips and tricks besides, you know, purposely die until you get a decent set of elevators? <laughs> um, not really. Yeah. It is actually possible to when you're like on the second level to get across an elevator if you just hold the joystick left or right um, to get over a, a um, elevator on the short side, but the timing has to be absolutely perfect. Like if the elevator, as, as you guys saw you on the live bottom. stream too, I forgot that you have to wait for the elevator to come down to you. I just oh, figured yeah. it would just instantly jump. So I just like would plummet off to my death. <laughs> I did that a couple <laughs> of times too. You did a wily coyote. <laughs> But yeah, um, there's not a lot to say about this game. It was pretty simple, but original. So, yeah, original, a little bit flawed. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a game that could be fixed with a you know either the shark treasure style reverse the elevators with a button. Maybe you can only use it once or twice per level. Or if uh, the elevators were specifically set so that they can't all be the exact same timing. Or, then yeah, so that shot. they're not all going the same speed. That that would. Yeah. That would pretty well at least allow you to wait until you get a place where you have an opening enough to get out. Yeah. Like even if the outside and the middle ones went one speed and then the 
two second and fourth place ones went a different speed. Yeah. It would make a huge difference. Yeah. I think we could make the game a lot more fun, actually. So yeah. Then then there would actually be strategy to it, not just dumb luck and yeah. What was the random number generating doing this time? Oh, I'm screwed. <laughs> All right. Well, does anybody else have anything to say about Shaft? Nope. We were shafted. It's yes, better we than Detroit. Oh, sorry. I said <laughs> we weren't going to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so the other game that we were playing this week was uh, uh, Willie's Warehouse. That's an old favorite of mine. I love that game. Yeah. That's, I like it better uh, than Candy Co. myself. That's a good game. And... Um, Definitely, if you're going for points, as uh, Sloopy pointed out during the live stream, definitely try to uh, push a box in on the guy that's behind the uh, girders and kill him because he's worth a lot of lot of points. Yeah, and that one you can earn free men as you go. I think it's every yeah. 40,000 or something, something like that. Uh, not sure. Oh. Somebody didn't do any dramatic readings on uh, Thursday. Mark? They did a dramatic snooze, though. (laughs) Dramatic snoring, perhaps? (laughs) I'm surprised I didn't hear dramatic snoring during our uh, Nitro Stein special. I had my microphone (laughs) off. I had my microphone (laughs) muted. Yeah, some some of the people in the panel here just aren't into the technical deep dives. I don't know what's wrong with them. but (laughs) What I was in session. Did I miss something? (laughs) Um, so I don't know. Uh, anything else to say about that game? Other than, uh, yeah, it's actually like it. quite a bit of fun. Did we find a manual for that one? Because one thing I'm curious on on that one, and I never had the manual when I had the uh, power version of it. Don't think we found a manual, but there are, there are um, some reviews of it that basically do the whole explanation of everything, just regurgitating what the manual says. So, Because my one question is the number of boxes that you pick up on the left side are different colors. Some are red, some are blue. Does that have any significance or is it just to be a bit of variety? I have no idea. Didn't read anything about that. So anybody out there that has a Willie's Warehouse manual, the uh, archive needs it. Yes. I think everyone had a. Uh, off I need something background. to read next week. Yeah. As far as I could tell, the color was just based on what number it was. Like the fours were always red. I think the threes were always blue. Oh, were they? Yeah, one. I and they were different. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I got. One, I didn't pay attention. Yeah, one and two were one color, and three and four are another color. Okay, I didn't realize that. <clears throat> well, there you go. But yeah, it would have been interesting to have like. When you had the one, two, and three coming up the right side, having an order that would like say like a blue box, no matter what the color was, no matter what the number was, or a red box, or something like that. You just want it to be easier. No, I'm saying that as a a higher level thing to make it more. Yeah, we have to match the color and the number or something like that. Oh, number and okay, so basically, it would be a choice of eight different things. Yeah, yeah, I did like that game. Yeah, it's a good one. Oh, Intercolor was one quite good. Was our good again? I said I was just saying. Well, you get to play for one more week, and then you can continue playing it afterwards. Just because the game on challenge ends doesn't mean you have to stop playing the game. Oh, really? Wow. I will allow it. That the high council kind of you. has spoken, but we don't get paid anymore, right? 
<laughs> Wait a second. Oh, you don't paid any less. <laughs> now I'll just say Intercolor had really good games. I mean, their clones like Robotech and, and Color Peter are really good. They were some of the best ones, especially for 82 when they came out. And then the original games like Willie's Warehouse, Candy Co. are really excellent games too. The only backfire they really had was Grand Prix, which you know looked okay from screenshots, but the, the corners in that game were just not not done right. But other than that, it was a pretty good game too. So Dave Clark, head of Intercutter. Okay. Um, shall we talk about the live stream on uh, Thursday, Sloopy? Uh, I guess I can do that. Okay, well, I'll throw up some video from that. Yay! We had a uh, su- successful uh, show where we were uh, we had six people playing at one time. We need to get more. So where were you? Not on the show. What unimportant thing did you have that you were not there? But yes, it was a fun time. Fun time had by all. Um. As I said, we had up to six, which is our uh, our average. We're trying to get a, a steady nine so that we can have a full screen. And we've been trying to get better and better games, but unfortunately, we keep getting shafted. It's coming. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> we're waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah. Whenever Nick starts his second game, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. When is scripts it coming up anyway? <laughs> Damn! Right after spectacular, that keeps getting put on the list, but it keeps getting pushed down for some reason. Yeah, and so I, I personally want to thank Ken for making sure it always gets skipped over. So, <laughs> ah, best for last. So when when is Ken going on vacation so that uh, we can get someone else to choose a game? Uh two weeks. Oh, sweet! So in two weeks, uh, we're going to have spectacular. Spectacular, <laughs> however you spell it, or maybe I'll do uh, scripts it too. Hmm. I'm just curious how we're going to rank those, so you know who came in first and who came in last. Well, in uh, color scripts it, um, uh, you go by word count. Yeah, time timed word count. It'd be like typing tutor. Yeah. Uh, Fred said microbes. I think we already played microbes, didn't we? I don't think so. I don't remember. We should redo some games. No, we the, still got uh, another. Uh, we still have like know. 700 games to go. Uh, no, we've got 1400 games to go. I've only got half on my website. So, yeah, we have 700 to go that are on, on Curtis's website. Then we've got another thousand. 700 I'm still haven't got to yet. Yeah. We have two what about that week? one um, we were talking about yesterday, Curtis? The uh, ROTG, what's it called? Uh, Return of the um, Beast. Yeah. Stuart Orchards. Didn't we do? We did that one already, didn't we? Did we? That's, I, I couldn't remember. We did his uh, our Rotab, the uh, Rotab, yeah, Revenge we did. Okay. of the Alien Bongo Beast something or other. I can't remember the full title. Yeah. We did that, that, that one. one. That one was titled the same way that uh, Todd Wallace apparently uh, makes labels. In the source code, hey, ninety characters long. Made a pretty a concept. Cool. One popular game and one 
you've never heard of this before game. Well, unfortunately, we've already played most of the popular games. Well, that's what I'm saying. But you have two games a week, or maybe even three games a week. Oh, oh don't get the, the don't get too games. complicated. I have enough trouble keeping track of two games. <laughs> Four times E to the seventh. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's lots of games to go in, and people like uh, Nick and Paul Shoemaker and others keep bringing out new ones too. So I don't think we're going to run out anytime soon. Ones. The more popular games we once in a while for special occasions do uh, bring them up again. But cool. Yeah, I, I think we've got enough of a deep uh, amount of games to go through yet that that won't happen. That won't be necessary, I should say, for a while. But yeah, we do do occasionally do the special ones. Yeah, I do have a game already selected for uh, two weeks from now. Okay. And uh, yeah, I I actually uh, saw it on um, someone's stream on uh, Twitch. It's delirium. It's not a. <laughs> as a hint, it's not a new concept, but it's a little different take on an old concept. Oh, Neutroid. <laughs> Neutroid 4? 3, 2, 1? Which one? <laughs> Nick, I told you not to tell anyone. All right. Well, <laughs> he still can't get it right here, so we'll have to just wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, all right. Uh, back to you. What Kevin. about an OS 9 game? We haven't had an OS 9 game. Yeah. No, I, I don't think we have. I tried to pick one, but I was told no because it'd be difficult to explain to everyone how to get uh, OS 9 uh, running. Well, if you get a pre-done one from the archive, it's just like, yeah. But yeah, the there's some like DOS. It's not there. that hard. You just yeah, you download the um, EOU and the games are there. Yeah, yeah then, then I was told click. About, then I was told about this EOU thing, and I tried it, and it was like I was confused. It was not very. Yeah, easy. well, you're an Atari guy, so that kind of explains. Yeah, that, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I'm in a slamming mood today. I slammed Apple on Mark. I slammed Atari on Sleeping. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Must be not enough coffee. All right. Well, shall no, we look at uh, the upcoming games? Yes, please. So, of course, we are playing Willie's Warehouse for one more week. So. You get another week to try and get a amazingly awesome score on that. Now, this is a bit of an interesting one, which I discovered this morning after having chose this and got everything ready. So, keep it. Oh, so uh, which one is this though? This is the yeah. Is it was there a Cubics or? Uh, yeah, I think this is Cubics, isn't this? No, nope. Spectral one. No, no. Q Man. No, it's not Q Man. Oh, this is Tom Mixes, maybe. You're a mix. Qbit or I don't think is there's called. There's it like eight different Qberts on the Cocos, I can't remember. This one. Newbert. Ah, right. Micro. But oh, this is not available on the archive. It's only available on Curtis's website. Now I have oh, really? And Curtis also has it mislabeled on his website. <laughs> well, no, actually, because Newbert is not. I actually talked to Micro about this. Uh, somebody hacked the intro screen. No, no, but you have it listed on your website, but you don't have it listed that you have the download for it. Oh, oh, let me write that down. Cool. But so you name. have to get this off of L. Curtis Boyle's website. I'll Do I at least have it as a disk image or is it a binary? It's a disk image. Oh, good. <laughs> now I have to pick a new game in two weeks. Thanks, Ken. Was that the game? No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's base, it's a Cuber clone. 
Um, and uh, this one, you actually, uh, unlike a lot of the games, uh, you don't have to try and figure out which is uh, left, right, center, up and down, whatever, how to go. It's uh, diag- use the diagonals on your joystick to move, just like you move on the screen. Mm. Cool. Have we done any cubers before? Like I said, the yes. Coco's got a ton of them. Uh, we yeah. have done one of them Euro-Mix? for sure, or maybe two. Yeah, I we did one. There's Q-Man, there's Q-Bix, or there's Pyramix, there's... I think we did Pyramix. Blockhead from Computerware. Um, there's a ton of them. Anyways, this is one I had chosen, and then I didn't realize it actually wasn't on the archive yet, or wasn't ever on the archive, so... Get it from El Curtis Boyle's site. Yeah, I'll have to upload it to the archive too. I thought I caught the archive up, but apparently I missed one. I'm I'm driving, but I'm just trying to drive uh, people towards your website, Curtis. No, no. I don't care. I don't. I don't get views on my YouTube page, and I don't even know what the <laughs> views are on my web page. My my counter actually it's still active there, but it broke for about two years, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it started working again. And I didn't change anything, so I don't know what the hell's going on. But uh, it's not even accurate anyway. Mike uh, Owens, by the way, says, yuck, that's going to make emulation with keyboards suck. Yep. The diagonals. <laughs> oh, that's true. I never thought of that. I, I just people that use keyboards. Boo-hoo. <laughs> Anyways, it's for the color computer, one, two, or three, 32K RAM, taper disc, and joystick is required. And what's the name of the game? Uh, Newbert. Yeah. I will I will post the link to uh Curtis's page in Yeah, I'll upload it to the archive, but I know uh Ian is actually busy this weekend, or at least today for sure, for the whole day. So uh, I'm not sure when he'll be able to get to it. Uh but it'll be in the archive soon soon as well. And even though Curtis's uh webpage says that he doesn't have the download for this, it's not on his list of ones he has a download for. He has it. If I didn't have to do all the new stuff right after, I'd go fix it right now while you're talking, but I don't. Uh, it's down at the bottom, but there's the link to zip file. Yeah. I, I just love to rag on Curtis about mistakes he makes on his website because it's fun. Yeah, because and there's lots of them, so he'll be doing this for <laughs> the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I have to say about the uh, Game On Challenge. So I guess it is time for some news. Newsy, newsy. Uh, it's going to wake up newsy now after our our other long one the uh hair on fire video here we go this is what i've been waiting for all morning (laughs) hi i'm terry stegge from retro tech time and the tandy shack and you're watching the coco nation the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the tandy color computer and its hardware cousins From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable. Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at CocoMan.biz. approach 
than ever. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Just hit clear. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Hey there, I'm Ken from Canadian Retro Things. And I'm Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. Yeah, that was Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. And you're watching the Coco Nation Show. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes or where news breaks from around the world to your nation the coco nation news with l curtis boyle they call me the human torch <laughs> <coughs> Uh, hey, game on news first. So the next episode of the Coco Show from Amigos Retro Gaming with John and Aaron is out covering Wizard's Den, which uh Ken of Canadian Retro Things actually timed perfectly to have as one of our challenges. You guys actually should be quite familiar with this game. Um it's got their normal sense of humor. Aaron actually got fairly far in it. He is planning on doing a live stream of it at some point because he actually got, I think, to the third level or fourth. I can't remember. Uh, we also got in contact with the original author, Matt Harper. We're trying to arrange an interview, but he's actually talking about possibly getting an emulator download and see if he can actually make it through all eight levels to show the entire gameplay for the entire game, which would be kind of cool, too. So we'll keep you posted once we get the iron details out of when we're going to have them on. And I'm going to try to get John and Aaron or at least one of them to come on and help co-interview since they covered the game as well. And uh, Matt has seen the uh, live game on challenge that we did with Wizards Den, and he also saw the episode of the Coco show. So he's actually seen them both. So get him, get Mart to have some feedback on us on what he thought of our covering of the game. Uh, next up, Paul Shoemaker. Now he's done three video updates this week on his supporting his video poker game to the MC 10, which is the first semi language game he's ever done on the 6803, which is the CPU inside the MC 10. Um, so I'm just going to show the latest one here because he's been adding stuff as it goes on. And uh, this here has actually got the title screen for the first time, and he's got some sound effects in it, etc. So let's just play that. Interesting. Your next video is a Brazilian wax. Yeah, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not interested in one. I can say that. YouTube matching algorithms. A Brazilian. That's a lot of them. And the game looks really good. So, um, and it's got some sound effects. The title screen stuff's been added. And this has all been the span of a week. So, you know, at the rate he's going, you might even have it done in a week or two. So looking forward to that. More new assembly language games for the MC10 coming. Uh, next up here, we have Italian, or sorry, this is um, Geo Papas, I think. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Pippo's 34. So this is an Italian retro gaming. Uh, so this is actually an Italian um, and he's playing Astro Blast. Um, now, I'm not sure what happened. Like, obviously, this here is a semi-graphics, higher semi-graphics mode for the intro screen. So on a Coco 3, it'll cut it off like this. Yeah. The actual game itself is P-Mode 4. But if you watch it, I'll just play a little tiny bit of it. But if you actually watch the gameplay, um, this is one where he's got the top, bottom, left, and right all cut off from where they should be. So I'm not sure if he just cropped his recording software wrong or... But, you know, you're missing, like, your score and your shields. And you can see the bottom of the ship's cut off. I'm not quite sure why that happened. But uh... now, uh, this one, Ken, have we covered this one on the Game On Challenge, do you? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if we did or not. Because I remember this was the first game I ever saw Artifact Colors on on the Coco. I know we um, played cause... a lot of these style games. I'm just not sure if we've played that one. Okay. Yeah. Let me just take a look. I will let, I'll, I'll let you know in about 30 seconds. Okay. Because like this, this one, one the, is, go ahead, Nick. This was one of the games I actually did play back in the day. So, yeah, it came out in like like you know mid to late '82, so it was a fairly early one. <clears throat> but I remember because we I'd seen all these ones from Radio Shack with Quasar Commander, which is like you know played in yellow and red and blue and green and stuff here. This was the first one with real artifact colors that reminded me of an Apple II game, but with much better sound. So it was one that uh, somebody actually came in and just loaded it up at one of the Radio Shack stores and then left left it running. So I didn't even know where the hell it came from. I didn't know third party existed at that point. And this was my first introduction to third party. And then a couple months later, I saw Donkey King for the first time. So this is the first game that actually went, you know, the Coke is pretty good at playing games. I'm sure Nick didn't have the exact same uh, experience here because he didn't see the color. But even in black and white, this actually doesn't look too bad. Yeah. No. Yeah, I only saw it in black and white, but. It was one I did actually play. I did like it. Yeah. And it's based on Astro Fighter, not on Astro Blast. Astro Fighter. Arcade. Yeah. Yeah. That particular game we have not played. Ooh. There that's you go. List. Put it ahead of script, Sid, please. He gives us Shaft instead. God. <laughs> now, this one is we by bit... some Aust Australian guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. This one is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely rejected this one a few times. Yeah. <laughs> so this is by Geo Poppas. And actually, he seems to be going through Nick's game catalog because I won't cover them on the show here because we're a Coco show, but he's been covering some of your level uh, model one and three games too. Yeah. Uh, a couple he's released. So uh, Cosmic Ambush, of course, is loosely based on Xevious, I guess is probably the closest match with scoring yeah, terrain, closest. et cetera. But you didn't have bombing, but you added, you know, weapon power up. So it's it's kind of a bit of originality in there too. And this is one for those who don't know that you originally intended to be on a cartridge. From it was going to be, but I never finished it. Yeah. Well, that and the fact that they canceled the cocoa at the last minute when you were still working on it. Hmm. So for those of you who've not seen it, I'll just go ahead to a screenshot here. Um, now, the emulator that he's playing it on is actually not drawing it correctly. You'll see shapes, like the enemy shapes will just disappear and reappear, and that's not what happens on the actual game. 
Um, they flicker, but they don't just disappear for half a second or something like that. So that's the problem with the emulator. Uh, yeah, and it's probably just also the way I did the sprites. They actually, the sprites do flicker, but on a normal CRT, you don't really notice the flicker. But on an emulator, it, uh, yeah, it really stands out. Yeah. Well, for me personally, I did notice the flicker even on real hardware, but it's it's like a strobe light flicker. Like yeah, you still see where everything fine. is. It, on the emulator, whichever one this was, and I remember seeing this back in the day, it actually literally disappears like all the aliens disappear and then they reappear yeah. like half a second later. And hopefully they didn't run into you. Well, back <clears> in the day, we didn't have those sort of emulators and uh, you never yep. saw this. And then, yeah. And of course, you've got you know, famous two shapes hidden in the background. If you pay attention to the scrolling background, you've got uh, the word OS nine, and you've got a space invader. Yeah, so that's get... one bug I couldn't get out of, get out of the game. The space invader. No, the OS nine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's it's a good fun game. It's it's a little bit difficult. Uh, every time you get hit, you lose your power up to the previous level. I think ah, wimp four. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll wait till uh, Ken brings it up and we'll have Nick live stream. We'll see how wimpy he is yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll just get to use the cheats, though. Two could play that game. I've got a main debugger. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got um, Cuthbert GA's YouTube channel. I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, what its title is. Uh, doing more Dragon 32 long play uh, game videos along with the original cassette and the original cassette artwork. He actually had quite a few here, um, including the um, Bean Stalker, which is actually uh, one of the dragons, ones we covered, Eddie Steady Go. Crazy Painter, which is actually originally a uh, Mitchcon. Oh, yeah, actually, originally it was uh, back when there was still Computer Shack, I think. Or is that? No, this was Cornsoft, wasn't it? This was Cornsoft Group, the same as um, did Frogger. What's and the then, crazy painter look like? I can't remember now. It's not bad. It's artifact colors. It even has background music. One of oh, the few artifact. games back then. Okay. Yeah. 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 Real, real uh, CRT stuff. Um, and of course, Downland on cassette, which we never saw in North America. That was a cartridge from Radio Shack, but uh, in the UK, it was sold on cassette. <laughs> What's Flag? Ah, oh, Hunt the Flag. It's a strategy game written in basic. Not really oh, strategy. Yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not as bad as Neutron, but still. Um, <laughs> anyway, there's a fair number that he put on here, too, so you can you can check those out if you haven't seen those. And like I said, he's doing the longer play videos, so you actually get to see more than just a quick minute. Uh, you got to you can see a fair bit of gameplay. Tanglewood was an adventure, if I remember correctly. Ah. Next up, Richard Kelly put up uh, Xenocide version 1.1. Now, you may recall when Alison Deneu was on the show in 2020... She announced that she'd released this game, um, and it's basically a planet that you're orbiting around, and you have to shoot missiles off that actually, you know, properly calculate how gravity would work going around a circular object like the planet. So you have to kind of figure out how far ahead you have to shoot to try to destroy cities, etc. So it's kind of miscommand in a round-centered planet type thing. Now, Richard Kelly had mentioned, I think we mentioned last week, or maybe it was just on Facebook last week, but he mentioned that uh, he wanted some better instructions built in. And just some minor tweaks to the gameplay so that he got permission from Allison uh, to do them and has kept uh, her name on the credits for it. But you can go download the version 1.1 in the Coco Facebook group. I think there might be a screen. Yeah, here's a screenshot of the actual gameplay here. Didn't zoom up. But basically, you're this orbiting satellite here. I'm assuming you guys can see the mouse cursor I'm showing. Yeah, yeah. And then these little 
uh, things raised from the planet's surface are the cities you're trying to bomb. So basically, you're rotating around. You have no control of the speed, but you have to hit the button, and they'll shoot an arcing thing uh, using you know, Newtonian laws, et cetera, to calculate exactly what angle it's going to fall at and see if you blow them up. It's actually kind of a fun game. Evil but it's got a bit more built-in help now and some little minor tweaks. So free download on Facebook and go grab that. I'm assuming it'll be in the archive soon too. And this looks like this other tab crashed. Uh, Firefox is really giving me trouble with YouTube lately. So let's try that again. Maybe. Hey, Jim Mullis, he posted a video update to the arcade-style game he's working on that is based on the DC Comics Superpowers toy line, which also was a mini-series from DC back in the early 80s, if I remember. And uh, basically, this is one he's, we've showed a couple bits of it before. This is where he's using graphics pressed by Jeff Steidel and Sundog Systems, which is a graphics and sound music library, um, which include windowing and clipping and sprites, etc., that actually you can run from BASIC. So it gives you some, you know, almost ML speed on on some basic stuff. So I'll I'll just play the whole thing here because it's actually I don't know not quite the whole thing because it it gets a little bit corrupted later on as he mentions in the in the comments. But you can kind of see the gameplay is going. He's actually got real shapes. So last time we showed this, you had these little circles kind of wandering around to represent sprites, and this actually has the scrolling background, but with actual a uh, Superman sprite uh, on it. So. I'll just play at the beginning when, he, when we first get to see the character running around and stuff and, and the background scrolling, and then we'll end it there before playing the whole thing. So it has a little splash screen here for Graphics Press. And the sound is not normally that glitchy. That was the emulator. Like a Game Boy. So there's a little bit of the, not not much of the scrolling, but uh, the the regular H print command in Basic does not let you scroll the screen like this. So that's part of Graphics Express. One of the very simple things that actually includes windowing and all kinds of layered windows and stuff too. There's a little mouse space selection box that you can do. We've got a loading a status bar. Something Nick's fond of using his games in a, a bit more mm. recent. You didn't you used to see these back in the 80s. Now it's an elevator ride to the next level. Now, the circles are kind of representing some other sprites, and they actually, you'll see some little glitching above. I believe that's because it's actually defined as a fairly large, it's just that it happens to be see-through for the most part. 
Now, I did ask him in the comments. I said, maybe you should add in a, like a top banner like Warrior King and some earlier Coco 3 games did to get the speed up so you're not scrolling all the screen because it's a fairly good-sized chunk of memory you're moving around here. And he said there was the option of um, doing a much faster scroll, but then it, it doesn't do the sprites as clean. Um, but he's kind of still fiddling with things to see which which way he wants to end up doing it. But you know, so like this, the sprite actually goes over top the background properly. So this is all stuff you can do within Graphic Express. And I'm looking forward to see where he goes with this, and then you know what what kind of power that you can do with Graphic Express. Because other than the demos that came with Graphic Express itself, and there's some pretty impressive ones on there. Most people that have tried using it that I know of usually give up on using Graphic Express because it takes a fair bit of memory away from your basic program. But you can like run a program that loads a bunch of stuff in in one and then chain, like do a run quote, you know, another second program for the actual game itself. So if you do your setup in one program and then run the next program to actually run the game itself, you can get some of that memory back essentially. So it does have some options for getting around it. <clears throat> and he's probably the one I've seen take it the furthest as far as this goes. I think Paul Thayer, when he tried it, he kind of gave up fairly quickly after he discovered how little RAM he had left, but uh, I don't think he tried the chaining part. Okay, so that's the game-related news. Now, the regular news actually was a lot busier than I was thinking it was going to be, so let me switch. Yeah, you guys are seeing that? The Cocoa Pie Project? Yep. Okay, so the Cocoa Pie Project as he actually had multiple updates listed, three of them, on uh, the site that Ron Klein runs. <clears throat> the first one here is the new version of XWare 1.3.3319 Work in Progress Package available for the Cocoa Pie. So this is like bleeding edge. Uh, you might hit some bugs here. Uh, but if you want to try out some of the new stuff that Karen's adding to XWare, and as we mentioned during the Nitrous 9 Part three of uh, the people that use XWare, it's constantly in the state of, of of development, so it's it's always getting added to. You know, Coco three support was added this past year, etc. So for those on the uh, audio only and can't actually see the screenshot we're looking at here, I'll just mention some of the things that uh, Karen has mentioned are being part of this next work in progress. He's got NTSC color tweaks for slightly better cyan. Initial support for middle button paste. So if you have a three button mouse, you can actually paste text right into the basic, et cetera. Um, adding brightness, contrast, saturation, and hue controls uh, for both GTK Plus and Windows. Uh, new options for setting the brightness, contrast, and color from the command line. New tape control and drive control windows in the Windows UI. Uh, the Gimme implements a bug in 16 color, 16 byte per row mode. I don't know which bug that's talking about. Nick, do you know what about a bug in the... Um. I mean, most people don't use the 16 byte per row mode because that's only 32 pixels, but. Yeah, no, I don't know about that one. Okay. <clears throat> so, Karen, if you're still in the chat, I can't see probably what he's saying there, but Mark, if you catch it, if he has an explanation of what that bug is, uh, let me know. Not so uh, far, new... but I've been chatting with him here. So, yeah. stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, new option uh, Pixel FMT specifies pixel layout and bit depth. Um, NTSC only composite renderer has uh, been renamed, so you can still use the old one if you want to. New composite renderer that handles PAL used for CCR simulated. I think that as actually might actually do some of the uh, color, color artifact. Would, yeah, yeah, the color mixing that you used on Donut Dilemma's original version. Right. Uh, WD 
27.9x write sync bytes before DAM fixes uh, write written to DMKs. Uh, that was actually by Michael Furman, which will be covering some stuff with him later too. Uh, so that's for doing special formats of floppies, et cetera. And the new option for uh, color killer. Um, and he mentions here, Kieran specifically mentioned performance on a Raspberry Pi 3 would certainly be impacted if trying to use the CCR simulated. You should use CCR partial, CCR 5 bit. So that's part of the rendering for the composite. So you will need a higher end Raspberry Pi to run that because it's pretty CPU intensive. So that was the Sixty. first update. Sorry. Sixty has an answer for you. Okay. He says, uh, yeah, it loses the second byte of data in that mode for some reason. He further says that the uh, gimme tends to fetch 16 bits at once. So there's probably something wrong with the shift shifter in that particular mode. Shifting the okay. Space. Not one I have encountered. Nah. Uh, next update for the Cocoa Pie, the latest UG Basic. Now, we have an active UG Basic channel on our Discord, and if you're not there, you should join. Um, and he says here, Marcos Bedaletti has been working hard on UG Basic in just about daily updates, and I can vouch for that watching the channel. Uh, I figured it was time to update the Cocoa Pie with the most recent version from Git, and he gives some links to the actual main thing if you want to take a look at it. Um, but basically, it's a sort of a modern version of basic that compiles down to the Cocoa and, and other platforms too. So it uh, gives you a fair bit of power um, basically being compiled. Right Very to nice cross-platformer. It targets the Z80 systems and 6502 systems as well as the Cocoa and Dragon. So uh, it's a... Uh, Have you fiddled with it much, Mark, or just watching it oh. from afar? Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually got it to build. The binaries he had for Linux uh, are for the next version of Ubuntu and they wouldn't work on mine. So I actually had to download the source code and build it myself, which I then ran into a couple other things. It was kind of fun. But anyway, yeah, I actually got it to build and play with it a little bit. It's got a few problems, some of the IO stuff, but they're working on it. So anyway, okay, cool. no, it, it, it's cool. It cranks out a binary that you can stick on a disk and uh, fire it up and it works. So it's really excellent. And how, uh, how fast does it run from your experience? Oh, it's a, Oh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, uh, it basically cranks out assembler. I mean, it's using uh, 6809 SM, I think, for the back end. So, you know, it, it converts to some sort of metacode, which then gets cranked into assembler. So it, it works really quick. So, and the basics kind of a little more high level, like, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, was, yeah, yeah. What's the current basic? I'm a basic, but it looks a lot more like, you know, Microsoft basic. So, okay. You have higher level structures, loops, and stuff like that. You can skip line numbers and things. So, oh, it sounds like base go nine. Uh, yeah, except that it targets our SDOS. <laughs> yeah. And then for the third people, update. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, nothing. Just for people who don't want the OS nine in the way. So, in the way. What are you talking about? <sighs> oh, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I was aiming to comment at. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. The only one. Um, the other part, and the third part that he's got updated here is you can get the new CMOC 0.1.82 package. So that's an update to the CMOC, which is a C-like compiler that is also constantly getting updated. We mentioned that during the uh, the Nitrous 9 part there as well, because uh, CMOC is capable of generating both this basic and OS 9 modules. And the fact, the uh, ease of use actually includes a card game that was written in CMOC, an older version. So it's by Pierre, Pierre Sarazen. And what's new in point 1.82, and these are fairly technical ones, but I'll just read through them quickly for the, the hardcore geeks among us. So it added a new header, which provides C functions set jump and long jump, added optimization option, uh, dash F omit, 
frame-pointer to tell the compiler to not keep the frame pointer in a register for functions that do not need one. This can shorten the program. This option is not on by default. It does not act on functions that use inline assembly. It should be used with caution because it has not seen much use as of this release. So you're get, you're getting kind of a beta here, and, and please give them some feedback if you find any issues. Added warning option, uh, dash W4, dash conditions, dash sizes, which warns if a for loops condition compares values of different sizes. For example, an unsigned N equals 2 to 6. For unsigned care, I equals 0, I less than N plus plus I. CMOC is now compiled without debugging information by default. But to compile CMOC with it, uh, pass dash enable dash debug into configure scripts. So up until now, it had been basically compiling the debug option on. So it's adding extra code, et cetera, for debugging. That was and the now, one I complained about because the executable was huge, like many, many megabytes instead of a couple megabytes. Oh, right. Okay. But that is that mark of passage when you finally let go of the debug and make that optional. I mean, you're supposed to debug sure. programs? What? When did this start? No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, you, I don't you're know. pretty I don't sure know. your code, when you turn off debug, you're pretty sure your code. That's kind of a rite of passage. Yeah, it's, it's what? zero point something, but it's it's pretty trustworthy now. You don't really need all of this to live. I don't understand. What's this thing, bugs? I've never seen that. Oh, that's right. You, never, <laughs> you don't have those. I'm sorry. Yeah, here in, here in uh, the other side here of the world. Here in the real world. We, we have in the real world. That just kind of break things for no reason. Why <laughs> <laughs> we have David Ladd? Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Coco Town. I'm going to try to get him on the show here soon, too, since he's just kind of popped up in the uh, YouTube Coco community and cranked out some pretty interesting stuff. So he's got two new videos this week. Uh, the first one is showing how to make how he made a sample library from his Cocoa 2 controlled by MIDI. So basically what he's doing is he's taking sound samples from a variety of Cocoa sources. They could be games, they could be the play in the sound commands or whatever. And then he assigns them as MIDI patches. And then he actually has a second video where he actually has a sample song of this. But basically, you can then create um music based on Cocoa actual sounds. And his actual theme song for his channel and stuff is actually based on that. So I'll play a little bit of the intro here, and then I'll play the sample sound that he actually did a little bit later too as well. Hello and welcome. Today we're going to walk through the steps I took to generate Coco Retro, a sample library from sounds generated by my Coco 2. Sample libraries are virtual instruments you play on your PC or Mac. You can play them live with a MIDI keyboard, or with pre-recorded MIDI data. And you can layer different instruments together. So I'll just skip ahead a bit here. So that here is part of his theme music, and every single sound that thing is generating was originally done on the Coco 2. <clears throat> now, of course, when he's mixing as MIDI patches, you can have like 16 notes at once or even more. Um, so you can do some stuff a lot more complicated than a Cocoa 2 could actually generate live. But each of the individual sounds actually comes from various games or, you know, built-in basic commands. So he actually explains how he did this. And then he actually explains how he made his intro video. So he's actually showing some of the video editing that he did to get stuff to come together the way he wanted for his intro. And then he decided to make a little experimental thing of just doing a little sample using the, the Cocoa library.
And of course, on a decent editor, you can add effects and stuff too on top of it. I'll just sort a little bit here so it's a bit more complicated. It's, it's kind of neat uh, being able to create, you know, a, a modern, you know, multi-voice song, but based on samples on you know, from the Coco itself. I, I I could see a lot of really interesting stuff being done that way. Um, and his his theme song at the beginning of every one of his videos is actually a good example of that. But like I said, we're going to try to get him on the show here. There's about six or seven people we're trying to get on for interviews. We've just got to figure out what order they're going to be done. And plus, now that we've got summer holidays coming up, and got to try to figure out, you know, some timing here so that uh i, I think i'm going to try to alternate every second week uh to have an interview so we have a, like a longer show and then a, a shorter show type thing rather than try to cram it all uh Tuesday retro programming another guy we're going to be trying to get on for an interview here we've been covering his uh you know exploring basic and uh, writing a couple games that he's working on in basic uh this is another one of his takes a break from programming things for the actual games he's been working on and this one's a little bit different. So he does a little bit, the tail end of the video is on calculating percentages uh, using basic commands. So that's a bit more along the basic programming, just not game related. The first part, he's actually going through the origins of the terms poke and peek. Um, and I won't spoil it. You can watch it there, but it's not what I thought it was. Uh, and it's related to English, you know, quite a ways back as to what those those terms actually meant. And then were bored by the computer industry and basic in particular for, you know, poking a value into memory and peaking a value from memory. So I won't play any of that because I don't want to spoil it, but uh, definitely go check it out. It's kind of interesting, a little bit of history I didn't know. You already have. What's that? I said you already have, still had the uh, <coughs> answer in it. <laughs> uh, next up, Alan Huffman, and this time uh, his uh, blogging software on the web actually worked because last week it uh, wouldn't load at all. So uh, this is a new one anyway that he added, and it's called Data Problems Revisited. <clears throat> and this goes from some little quirks of the read data statements in BASIC. And this is for Radio Shack BASIC, obviously. Um, and in particular, it's an issue that crops up if you try to add statements after the data statement on the same line number. And it does bizarre things. So for example, if you look here, he's got a little program. Uh, he's got 10, read A, print A, you know, if A equals negative one and else go to 10. So he's got a little data of some numbers with a negative one to signify the end of the list. But if you look at his line 100, he's got data one, comma, two, comma, three, everything pretty well normal. But then he does colon print foo, the word foo, not, not a variable. And then 110 is data negative one to signify the end of the table. But if you run it, it actually will give you, it'll read the first three character or the first three digits from the data statements here one two three but when it hits the print foo it actually returns a syntax there in 100 and that's because the basic interpreter i probably should have saved this for william when he was on because he's, he's a wizard at knowing how basic works internally but basically it it takes anything that's past the data statements and doesn't properly process the tokens um so the print foo it still thinks should be part of a data statement Though the colon tells it it should be, you know, start of a new command. So it doesn't work properly. And he gives some other examples of, you know, where you can get some weird stuff in there too. And and kind of explains, you know, how to avoid it basically. Uh, most people didn't notice this because normally you would have data statement by itself yeah. on the line. And then you might have, you know, subsequent lines with more data if you had a ton of data you had to worry about. But most people didn't try to mix a data statement followed by another command. But 
there's a reason for that because it doesn't work properly. <clears throat> so that was a pretty good uh, deep dive, and it might help some people debugging programs if they are trying to mix a data statement with some other uh, commands on the same line in BASIC. I would bet other versions of Microsoft BASIC, like on the Commodore and Apple II, would probably have the same issue. I would uh, guess so because they will have their standard the, interpreters. So yeah, the data parser just assumes it's all data; it's nothing else. So yeah. Next up, uh, Jason's not actually on the show today, um, but uh, he was uh, finally released the video. He said, better late than never from VCF Midwest 17, which was before Cocoa Fest by what, a month or something? Does anybody remember? So he covers some of the Cocoa stuff there. He's, there's, you know, Taylor Namier in there and David Ladd and Ken and others. I won't play it here because uh, we kind of covered the VCF stuff, you know, back when VCF actually happened, but the he was a little bit late on getting this video up, but if you want another perspective on VCF Midwest and a lot of Cocoa content within it, uh, definitely go check out his video on his Fairly Amused channel on YouTube. I think this is last September, so it was after last Cocoa Fest, but before this last one. Yeah, it was in September. Oh, okay. And coming up in September again. <laughs> uh, this one here is a short, and this is from Vern's Misadventures. We've covered his channel before. And these, this is a YouTube short of an extended basic demo. And I think this was actually one that some Radio Shacks actually ran, if I remember. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to remember seeing this one. And it's not in the manual, so I can't remember where it came from, but uh, maybe some of the other old timers here might remember this. It's a little hard to read, unfortunately. Yeah, I seem to recall like some Radio Shacks actually had this around in the store in the early days. Well, I think it's on the STC. Uh, uh, oh, the main the main yeah, image the with everything disc. on it. Yeah, the big disc. I seem to recall that. I'll play the whole thing there, but uh, kind of gives you an idea. But it's basically just a demonstration of what you can do in extended basic. So it's got you know some music, it's got some graphics, it draws a picture of a TV with some animations in the middle of it, etc. So just using basic statements, no poking or anything. Uh, but it's one I do remember seeing in the store on occasion. So I'm sure Radio Shack had it. I just don't know what the source of it is. Mark, do you know? Was that something that Radio Shack distributed or just? I don't remember it in the store. I just remember it being on the. Uh, on the arcade? That on the STC. Okay. Next up, this is kind of exciting. So Glenn Hewlett, of course, he's famous for doing a variety of transcodes from Joust to Robotron to Defender to Pac-Man. <clears throat> and uh, now he's porting another game, but it's not an arcade game this time. It's from the Amiga. And if, for those of you that uh, are familiar with Amiga, there's a game called Rick Dangerous. And uh, this is actually, I, I could have put this in the game news, I guess, too, because it's kind of an announcement that he's working on it. But it's its more a technical detail because you find a little trick, which I won't go into full explanation here. You can read the article to, to, to you know, get the glean of what the knowledge of it is. But basically, it's a way to do some math to calculate an offset onto a graphic screen, a Cocoa 3 graphic screen, so a larger one, based on X and Y coordinates. And a little math trick you can do to do the offset if you set your game to run the 256 by... 192 or 200 or 225 mode rather than 320 mode. 
So you're basically cutting the sides off a little bit. It's more like a Coco 2 resolution horizontally, but still full 16 colors. Um, and it's a, a math trick that actually saves in that calculation, like it cuts the number of CPU cycles required to do it by more than half. So if you got a lot of sprites and stuff, this actually would you know save you a fair bit of time to program. Um, for those of you that are watching on the video, though, I will show, here's a screenshot of the Amiga game itself. And the Amiga, by the way, used the same 256 pixel wide trick. They actually just drew black bars on the left and right hand sides of the screen. Um, or maybe they have their own 256 mode. I'm not sure. Nick, you might know you're more familiar with Amiga than I am. Uh, but here's what it looks like on the Coco by comparison on the Coco 3 which is pretty close. I mean, obviously, we don't have as many shades of gray as the Amiga does and stuff here, but it looks pretty good. Not bad, yeah. Definitely looking forward to that one. And then here's the actual technical details and various ways that he implemented it to speed it up. So his original versions were taking like 23 cycles um, just to do the calculation. And then by the end, he gets it done in 10. Using this little trick of flipping the X and Y into opposite bytes and then doing one shift that does a divide by two on one and a multiply by, what is it, 64, 128 on the other? Um, basically, by shifting it into the other byte entirely to do the. Hmm. I use actually use that trick in Petsky Robots too when Jay and I were working on it. Anyway, real, real cool to hear that he's actually you know, working on something else. I know he said he wasn't a big fan of the rest of the Williams games that uses 6809. So, so he's jumped up to the Amiga 68000 and he's working that. I will mention one other thing I should have mentioned before I took the screen off. He's not putting himself under any hardware limits this time. So in previous transcodes he's done, he's always tried to make it run on a 6809 and 512K. On this particular one, he says he wants to take the training wheels off. He's going 6 through 9, 2 mega RAM and using the streaming feature on the Coco SDC. So what he can do when he combines all that, considering what he's done on a plain 609512K before, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do with that. And uh, uh, Nick, you've you've actually are familiar with the Rick Dangerous game. Um, what can you tell us about the game itself? It's a great game. It's a, it's a game, um, it's available on 8-bit computers as well. The Spectrum, the Amstrads, the Commodore 64s. So... Um, it, it's a good game to convert to a another 8-bitter like the Coco, but it's a fun game. It's a platform game. It is pretty hard, um, but uh, it's well done. Um, there were so two do you think he's games. taken the right route of converting it from the Amiga, or should he have converted it from a C64 or an Amstrad or something, you think? Well, the fact that he's using a 6309 may make it a bit easier to get the direct um, Amiga 68000 code, I guess. Um, I guess it works either way, but the other ones, I mean, what are you going to convert? The Commodore 64 version, that's 6502, that drive me mad, uh, <laughs> or Z80. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I think a 6309 to a um, converting from a 68000 may be a bit more uh, interesting and possible. Okay. Uh, but it, it was a good game. It was it was uh, uh, very popular back in the day, and it and there was uh, actually two Rick Dangerous games. There was a sequel, but I don't know if he ever plans to do that. Okay, I know he mentioned in the blog post there that um, the Amiga original actually uses the four voice mod player, so four simultaneous yeah. digitized instruments. <clears throat> and I was 
talking with him in the chat because he's got chat enabled on his blog there because uh, he was trying to figure out if he could actually pull that off in real time, even with a 639 in native mode with two mega RAM. And he thought he might have to do loose loop samples. But then he was kind of thinking about it afterwards and we were talking about is that he might just use the streaming feature in the Coco SDC because then you can that pre-mix. Be yeah, you can yeah. pre-mix the uh, samples um, so that basically all four voices are already pre-combined. So you just load and throw it on the DAC. So it's going to take no CPU time at all to do a full four voice. Yeah, that's a, that's the big advantage of that because uh, he will lose a lot of CPU time if, if he, he tries, tries to... to do it in real time. I mean, I've tried doing that in, in my games and you do... It, it, you do lose a bit of CPU, but the streaming, um, no one's used that. I've been wanting to use that as well, um, but I'll be very curious to know what that uh, comes out as. Yeah, I also talked to him, and we talked about this, Nick, too, when you were talking about using the streaming, is the fact you could actually make an Orchestra 90 stereo 8-bit version, too, and he's seriously considering doing that, too. So you might actually have two that, versions, yeah. one that actually has stereo music in the background, you know, panning left and right on the on the Coco type thing with an Orc 90 pack. Um, well, being streaming, you're not really doing any any uh, processing of the sound. You're no, just, you're just doing a load D and a store D, basically. Yeah, just, that's right. Just reading the Even data does the auto the increment screen. automatically, so it's it's almost no CPU time at all. So all, all, the, all the work's been pre-done, pre-rendered, and all yeah. you're doing is just streaming the uh, uh, the sound. Yeah, the only thing we've seen that really does that I think is some of Ed Snyder's own demos. Like he did that Coco One Two One, which does that uh, yeah. <clears throat> animated Japanese uh, music video that you know had full you know I think it was ten to fifteen frames per second of graphics in P Mode Four, plus pre rendered you know full voice mixed. Except I think in that case he's using the six bit deck. But yeah, there's there's some pretty cool stuff you can do. That you were even mentioning at one time in private that you know somebody should actually try to do like say Dragons Dragons Lair Dragons Lair. Yeah, because you could you could stream the video across really fast that way too, intermingled yeah. with the actual you know sound effects et cetera, and actually have it play at full throttle. Yeah, uh, sixteen color mode. So that'd be interesting too. So that's a, a feature of the SDC that really hasn't been uh, exploited yet. So I'd be very curious to see what not, he gets not in the game. Yeah, I mean Ed's done a few huh? you know video and and, and music demos, demos but, but yeah, yeah, d implementing it into a game say would be great. Yeah, I agree. And it just means that you can have a game with great graphics on the Coco 3, but still have really good music because you, again, you, you, you pre-compile the music. So it'll be, you know, or just basically you can take a, a, an MP3 file, convert it into a, a, a down sample it to a, a, an appropriate WAV file, uh, and then you just stream it because it's stored on the uh, SD card, not yep. in the Coco. And it just streams it off the SD card, um, yep. straight to and the you basically so you're not streaming it directly to the hardware. Like you're you're streaming it, oh. you load the byte, then you can mix you know your own sound effects from within the game itself. Yeah, as if it's just a two channel game, and yeah. you'll it'll sound like it's a five channel four voice music plus you know your sound effects or whatever, and take them and out of the CPU I'm, time that a two channel would do. That's right. So that's what I'm hoping to do with this other game that you keep annoying me about time that i'm gonna <laughs> eventually get around to doing so you can create yeah two, can can two, keep, keep pestering him please yeah he never listens I'll to get me, on to so. it I'll get, get to work it. nick <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here you should be working on the game yeah not this <laughs> i was doing the os9 thing no <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you're working on the wrong game yeah i was but <laughs> <laughs> uh.
Anyway, really interested to see where he's going to go with that, especially now that he's taking the training wheels off and he's going you know, all out with, like like he said, he was always trying to see what he could have pushed the hardware back from the 80s to do. And now he wants to push the hardware from what we have now without cheating and going to like FPGAs and stuff that are overclocked like mad with simulated chips, et cetera, but actually using a real cocoa with the real hardware we're hooking up yeah. to nowadays. And the good thing about the cocoa SDC is that it's, it is a bit more native to what the cocoa could always do that is playing a sample is more native than say plugging a sound chip into the cocoa because the cocoa really is not it, it, it wasn't ever born with the sound chip it was always an add-on but it could always do sound samples yep. so with a cocoa sdc you're just taking that very same thing to another level so yep. uh, and to be honest, we did have one Coco that never officially got released. Um, yeah, the, that would have the, had the a sound chip, the Deluxe. Yeah. yeah, but that would give you games that run on a Coco Three that I reckon would might even sound better than uh, what they do on a Commodore sixty four. Oh, yeah, or an Amiga. Yeah, it depends on the sample rate because um, you got, you are still interrupting the CPU. To, to to read the stream, so there is still a bit of CPU overhead, but the fact that if you but can, you you're, uh, you're right now you've done two and three channel games at what seven and a half eight kilohertz, yeah, and that's fine for sound effects, gunshots, yeah. explosions, you can get away with it fairly well. Music though, yeah, trying to get that really clean note though, the higher the sample rate, the better. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can you can fudge it to a, around eleven, say eleven kilohertz. I mean, Sockmaster's mod player, the six through nine version, actually gets you up to ten kilohertz. Yeah, in so software, you can get but away that's with just it. doing music. Yeah, yeah, you can get away with it if you can get. Depends on your game, how, how much yeah. overhead the game has. Yeah. No, definitely but, looking yeah. forward to it. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's something to get a, a you know. Light a flame under Nick there to to get going on this other game. You wait, Neutroid will blow your socks off. <laughs> it'll it'll blow, all right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> promises, promises. <laughs> Actually, you, you could even use the Coco SEC streaming to do background music on a Coco One and Two, so you could use it for. You could exactly. Neutroid. That's another thing. It, that it, could be your uh, trial really, run before you do a real game. Okay, that's right. You could do uh, seven kilohertz or even fourteen kilohertz uh, interrupt-driven streaming on from a Coco SDC on a uh, Coco One and Two. Yeah, which Ed demonstrated in that one video we talked about earlier. Anyway, enough enough of Actually, that. Yeah, enough of that. Okay, back back <laughs> to um, Neutroid. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure. Um, who this guy is, and we've covered him a bit before, but Yagi Boat on YouTube did a follow-up about running his backbit cartridge on his Coco 2. So we covered this last week where he got it running with showing disk images. Now, one unique thing about the backbit compared to the Coco SDC, because they both support floppy images, they both support hard drive images, with the hard drive image being more recently added. But the uh, backbit also, besides the fact that it's cross-platform, you just get these little adapter cards to adapt it to the cartridge slots, and you can run you know, the same main board with the SDC adapter on a Commodore 64, on an Apple II, on a Cocoa, whatever, is it also supports cassette images. So it's kind of closer to, what's the Dragon one called? Because it also supports cassette. Uh, 
filling a blank. I'm sure Karen will remind us if Mark happens to see it. Um, but MMC? basically, he shows it here. What's that? Ah, MMC? MMC, yeah. I think, was it? Yeah, I think yeah, that's right. right. But basically, the, the back bit supports that, too, and he actually shows a little demo here, so I won't play the All whole right, thing. Testing but... the old back bit out. Got a new one over here. This is the uh, the one that works on just about any 8-bit system you can think of. Got it plugged into a Tandy Coco 2 at the moment. By the way, he's got a funny camera angle lens there. It's not the his Cocos that work. Awesome little cartridges. This is not a sponsored video, by the way. The Melty Coco. That one really melted. He slept on the dash too long. I want to see if this thing will actually load a cassette image. So let me... Let's try this one here. See, uh, see if it'll load here. Wow, that was fast. Now you'll notice That's there that it's loading image. a cassette image as fast as if it was from Bedlam. Disc. It's a text adventure based off. So if you have any games that are not patched to run on disc and ROM L doesn't work on them or something, you can actually load them as fast as a disc anyway using this cartridge. Anyway, so that's an advantage over the SDC. Yes, it does. It does load cassette images, obviously. Uh, you can see it going. I don't. Has anybody here on the panel actually uh, seen or actually ran one of these back bits, whether on a Cocoa or something else? Because I know they've been out for a few years on other platforms. Nope. Nope. Big no. Never even heard of one before. Nah. Mark, have you been falling asleep during our shows again? Because we've been covering this for like a year and a half now. <laughs> we have? Yeah, I must have been. Uh, 8 Bits in the Basement says something about a Max Duino. Maybe it's the one you're thinking of as a dragon. Anyway. Mm. Don't know. Anyway, that looks really promising. And I know the developer here has actually been active a bit. Like I talked to her. Uh, via YouTube chat chat uh, months ago when we first discovered this. And she didn't even know that the Cocoa supported floppy drives or hard drives at that time. So she only had cassette and cartridges supported at that point. And then, and then she added disc and then she was adding the, you know, the hard drive stuff for doing stuff like King's Quest, you know, three games because it takes five double-sided floppies. So who wants to do that manually? Uh, next up, we've got Michael Furman has done part three of his vlogs on Flex. So this here is a, if you want a technical deep dive into floppies, hello, David Ladd. Um, and actually, David helped a little Thank bit with this. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, the archive copies of Flex <clears throat> from Frank Hogg um, don't actually run. If you put them on a real Cocoa, an STC, or even an emulator, they don't run properly. So he did a deep dive into here to figure out exactly why, which he does figure out. It's based on the fact that Flex has a special single density track zero. That's meant so that no matter what drive type you have, it would read that track in fine because the you know disc controllers on the Coco, the WD1773, 1793s, can read single density. It's just you know set this bit and it's single density or double density. And it, they were specifically set up this way so that you could read the first track, no matter what type of a drive you had for Flex, and whether it was on a Coco or something else. And it would be able to read, I think it's called the SIR record. It's basically telling the geometry of the disk, like, is this a single density disk or double density? How many tracks? How many sectors per track? Et cetera, et cetera. So it'd be able to read this and then go, oh, you, you got a double density disk in here, and I'm only a single density drive, so I can't read this disk. But it wouldn't just, you know, error out with, you know, an I.O. error. It would actually be able to read it and tell you, you know, this is the type of drive you need to read this disk properly. So the archive basically had not set up to have a DMK style, like one that actually keeps all the track information 
low-level stuff, like whether it's single density, double density. So basically what happens is that the first track on these disk images is only 10 sectors long because it's single density, and the rest are 18 sectors per track like a normal Cocoa double density disk is, and they are double density. So once he figured that out, he actually redid these as DMK images, which retains the correct data, and he actually saves it so that track zero is single density, 10 sectors per track, and then tracks one through 34 are double density, 18 sectors per track. And once he did that, now it runs fine. So he actually got it up and running. And uh, to further on that, once he got it working, he actually worked with Karen to come up with a special, and you can get the links for this in the uh, news notes on Discord. He's actually got FHL ColorFlex, Frank Hogg Laboratories, is what FHL stands for, the 5.04 demo. So this is a little bit different than the 503 demonstrated in the video, uh, where he kind of figured out what was going on. The only difference I've seen, really, unless there's some bug fixes I'm unaware of, is basically that the uh, 504 supports smooth scrolling for the graphical text, which I'm not a big fan of because it just slows everything down. It might look pretty, but it, it's it's kind of useless to get anything done. Um, but you can actually sit here and actually run it. And basically, they set it up here so you just put Start Flex. There's a little button on the top here. You just click it. And I'll just show, you know, just a very brief bit of Flex actually running. And Flex, uh, for those who don't know, was an alternate operating system, kind of like OS 9 was for the Cocoa 1, 2, probably mostly. I don't think it was too much done with the Cocoa 3 on it. But um, it was, I, I guess, a bit more based on CPM. So it's a more powerful, it's a real operating system um, versus, you know, just a hack add-on to basic. But it doesn't support like multi-user, multitasking, that type of thing. So if you guys have run OS 9, you'll be familiar with this. You have to type in the date because we don't have a clock chip list to be like, um, so let's do this. I guess the big question is, why would I want to run um, Flex? Is there anything like that I would want to run Flex in order to specifically run? Flex had a or? lot of, it was more meant for business people, I'll, I'll be honest. So there's a ton of utilities, there's a ton of business software, like the original DynaStar, DynaCalc, and all that stuff was on Flex. Um, there's alternate languages like Pascal, Fortran, Forth, Lisp. Uh, COBOL, um, multiple assemblers, um, compiled Microsoft Basic, another one that it had. I didn't, TSC Basic. I didn't hear, didn't hear games in that list. <laughs> well, the original Flex for the other machines when it first came out in 78, 79, basically they were all text based. So you got a few yeah. games like, you know, Battleship and, you know, um, Eliza and that kind of stuff. So nothing major. Othello. You know, based on text. Now, Frank Hogg's Flex, and I can't remember if the Spectra one or the other one, which name of the company is escaping me. Um, they added graphic options here. In fact, you've got, I'll just do a cat here. So cat's the equivalent of a dirt. And you get to see the smooth scroll. It's sector-based, not granule-based. So you're not wasting as much disk space. It's more like Dragon DOS in that way. You'll see these commands, uh, CMDs, and then you've got some you can actually set the screen, like the X6432BW is to set the uh, the text fonts we're seeing. So right now we're running, I think, 42 by 24. Um, but you, the, they slow. added... Sorry, go ahead. That is slow, isn't it? The, the yeah, no, I much scroll. prefer without the smooth scroll. I much prefer yeah. those. It's just too slow. But you can actually do graphics. Stuff. Yeah, I actually added some... Um, low-level graphics commands here. So if I do FH logo. Let 
you just notice it loaded the actual graphic directly onto the screen from disk. That's why it was yeah. kind of choppy. But once you load stuff in, I mean, with the graphics driver stuff that's in there, you could write some graphic games. And with a compiled basic, for example, it'd be faster than doing it in disk basic. Uh, but if I do X64, oops. I think that's the right one. Oh, I don't think the other X should be in there. Uh, maybe I'd better do a cat again because I can't remember the name of it. And then we got a white. I think I can break out of it once I find it. There it is. Oh, that paused. X64 32BW. Unless it's a different key on the emulator. I don't remember. So this is now a 64 by 32 screen. They've got multiple different size fonts there. So you can kind of like, you know, run, you know, a decent text editor with a lot of stuff. This is on a Cocoa Water 2, too, you're going to remember. It mm -hmm. gives you a lot more text on the screen. And this is not you know, a bunch of third-party software installed. This is just the standard, you know, disk you got with Flex with the commands that are built in. So anyway, if anybody's interested in that, uh, I mean... Uh, Mikey is doing this this uh, whole series of uh, vlogs of going through Flex itself. The first ones have been, you know, just finding out what versions there were for the Cocoa. There are multiple ones for multiple people. Uh, and then, you know, how to get them up and running because the stuff on the repository or the uh, archive, I should say, was not working properly. Um, and then you know, being able to do it online here with a special version of uh, Kieran's X or online. But if you want to explore it, there's a, quite a bit of stuff. There's uh, there, if you take a look at the old Frank Hogg ads in like 82, 83, 84 in Rainbow and Color Computer News, you can see they had catalogs of Flex software that were like 30 pages long. So there was a ton of software. There's hundreds of packages available for it. And it was quite popular in some other, you know, 6800 and 6809 systems at the time too. So and some of the stuff will actually run on, you know, you can take one from another different platform and actually run on the Coco, which is fine. So it's it's an interesting bit of history. Once OS 9 Level 1 came out, there was a bit of a war between the two. I know Frank basically said after about six months, he preferred Flex because you could do a lot more with it because of the memory restrictions with 64K, because OS 9 takes a fair bit of memory. But once Level 2 came out and the Coco 3, then he said, no, OS 9 is way better if you got a Coco 3. You can do a lot more with that than you'll ever be able to do with Flex. And Flex does have a special version called Uniflex that was released later that actually does do, I think it's multitasking... Can't remember if it's multi-user, but basically they added some other features that are closer to OS 9. So you did have an expansion path to follow in Flex as well, but I don't think it caught on as much as uh, as OS 9 did. Next up, uh, Taylor and Amy finally got to the Cocoa 3 that Brian Weasler gifted them at Cocoa Fest. Um, they also took the 512K RAM upgrade, which is an actual original Tandy one uh, that they got from uh, Sloopy. So uh, thank you to Sloopy for that. And they also got Cocoman's um, SCART adapter. So this video, I know I won't play too much. Here, go check it out. There's a normal, you know, tons of good humor in here. They actually try out some games at the end too. They're very impressed with what SCART RGB looks like versus what they're used to, like on their old Cocoa Two composite type thing. Uh, they install the five twelve K. 
Um, they play a couple of Coco one and two games, uh, Manic Miner, which does not have artifact colors, was one. And they picked, uh, I think, Miss Gobbler, which does have a limited bit of artifact colors. And then they picked uh, an arcade game for the Coco three by an Australian programmer. Can you guess uh, what it is, Nick? Uh, zero hour? No, they picked uh, Space Ambush by Craig Stewart. Oh, did they? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because they bought my games. So I would have thought they would have put <laughs> well, my they just, games in. They were just picking random ones they'd never tried before. If you watch the video, so they just they had no idea what they were picking. Back when they played it, they thought there was something wrong with the game or the joysticks here because every time you shoot an asteroid, it just sprays off sparks because they didn't realize you have to shoot it dead center to destroy it. And they didn't right. know about that. I think it's a space bar to enable your side guns and stuff, so you can actually do a wider span. But it sucks your feel like there's a bunch of things. But anyway, I, I won't play it here, but. Um, it, it definitely worth 20 minutes of your day to watch it. It's hilarious as, as all their videos are. And, uh, you know, they, they get a Coco 3 they've never had before, upgraded to 512K, SCART RGB output. And, uh, yeah, I think they're going to have a lot of fun with it. This one here, I'll just mute it and let the uh, person who created it talk about it a bit. Maybe I'll skip ahead. Oh, God, that's me. Yep. <laughs> So you got uh, this from somebody there. At yeah, the fest, I got it from, you... uh, um, oh, who the heck did I get it from? Was it David Craker? Uh, yes. Yeah, the guy with the flight simulator. The yeah, David Craker. I don't know why his name just escaped me because I was just talking to him yesterday. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> old like the rest of us. <laughs> yes, that's it. I'm old. Anyway, so uh, I got this uh, from him. It's just a little package he had put together and was... Uh, selling at uh, the show at the Coco Fest. So I picked one up and added uh, composite to my Coco 2, which I now yeah, know has a uh, failing 555 timer in it. Yeah, that yellow bar thing you got on the left? Yeah. Yeah. So those who don't know, um, this is the universal video driver, and it's basically a recreation of one that Mark Data Products did back in the early 80s, early yep. to mid-80s. And it works on a Coco 1 or 2. And basically upgrades your Coco 1 or 2 from RF to composite out. Something that Radio Shack only did on um, educational systems for some stupid reason. Mm. So how hard was this project? Like, how would you rate this as a difficulty project for somebody uh, um, either new, new to hardware stuff? Is there a lot of soldering to do? Or Oh, God, no. It's pretty easy. I mean, if you, uh, he doesn't, uh, I don't think he, he's maybe thinking of doing more of these uh, little kits, but normally you would just, Print the PCB up and uh, put all the parts on yourself. Uh, the way he had it, he had already put all the uh, resistors and everything on the um, board, and then you just had to solder the wires on. That one looks pretty simple. You could just prototype it. Yeah, it's actually already prototyped. It's already in uh, the PCB um, archive there. You can just order the boards right from PCB Way. Which oh, link comes with the Mark Data Products instructions too. Cool. Uh, actually, I got those off of uh, the um, uh, 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 computer archive. Oh, okay. And and did you notice a big increase in quality, or besides the yellow bar thing? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's not perfect, but uh, actually, David said it seems to work way better on the Coco One than it does on the Coco Two. <laughs> oh, really? I haven't okay. tried it on the Coco One yet, but I mean, it's definitely it's not perfect. But it definitely increases the uh, like um, the picture a lot and makes everything easier to capture too. 
And actually, on uh, Thursday's live game on, I was using my Coco 2 to play the games. So, yeah. Oh, so you're actually using the composite out from this to feed into your capture device? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because it looked like it looked like it when I saw the video. Um, I actually got picked one up also, and I'm going to be doing an install on it soon. And I, I guess I should probably do a video on it, but I'm going to modify mine a little bit. I'm not going to use the jumpers and the things that he. Uh, well, I like the jumpers because uh, this way I can just take it off and put it on one of my other computers if I need to. Like right. if I want to capture video off of my Coco One, I can just. Pop it over All that. official upgrades have J clips. It's required. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, excuse me, if you get to it first there, you've got some Coco Ones too, don't you? Yeah, but I can make a simple uh, composite mod for them that is not so simple on the Coco too. La, 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 la. I was thinking about <laughs> redoing, redoing the board so it's much smaller. Um, well, the reason, the reason I was asking is that David had mentioned to Ken that the Coco 1, the video quality actually goes up much better than even a Coco 2 does with this particular board. And I was just wondering if maybe you could do a video just to show if that's true or not. Well, I was going to actually hook mine up to one of my Coco 1s, but... Oh, you're going to do it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's all J-clips, so I just have to unclip it from my Coco 2 and clip it onto my Coco 1. But uh, I'm actually thinking of more permanently mounting it underneath the uh, making putting longer wires on it and just mount it under the keyboard. Okay, your Coco fits two perfect. Is missing the with a bit, can't do bit it, more right? shielding too. If the Coco two is what? If the Coco you two need a bit more missing. shielding on some of the wires and things. Go ahead, Bob. There was two people talking wired. there, so. Go ahead, Bob. If the, the Coco 2 is missing the RF adapter, then you can't do that mod, can you? Um, I think the chip is inside the RF mod. There's only there's only one spot inside the RF uh, modulator that you actually hook onto. Yeah, you kind of need that because yeah. that's the actual video <laughs> signal. An important spot, yeah. though. Yeah. That would, yeah, that would be the trick. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, one of the resistors in there, but... Was to catch the video signal that it's made before it modulates it into. So could you couldn't you tap yeah. it off the VDG itself, or is there some other circuitry in between that needs to be there first? No, it's it's off of the thirteen seventy seven seventy two whatever it is. Yeah. So. But you can get the not composite uh, component video directly off the VDG. Yeah. Right. Okay. But that doesn't work with this mod. But not the composite. This is just an amp to get your composite video up to snuff and out the door. Right. Anyways, basically, it's making it a lot easier for me to capture things off my Coco 2. Cool. Yeah. And this yellow bar was just, just one little chip that has to get replaced. Because yeah. I know I've seen five, this before. Five, five. Okay. And how much, is the, how much does it cost you for the board? Like, how much would you cost if you see order from PCB way? Uh, I don't know. Uh, like we're we talking ten bucks, or are we talking fifty? Or what? Well, you would get bucks for fifty for ten of them. Yeah, five or ten dollars for a bunch of them, and then but then the, the the killer is always the shipping. Well, it depends on how fast you want it. Yeah, don't use UPS. That's my only recommendation. <clears throat> or you may not see it till next year. But I mean, for a really <laughs> easy non-permanent. Uh, way to do this it's really nice because uh yeah that's basically the thing that i like the most about it is i can just unclip it anytime i want and move it to a different computer or 
Yeah, that is kind of nice, especially if you have multiple like Cocoa Ones and Twos from that era. Yeah. Oh, uh, this one died. Clip, clip. <laughs> Basically. Anyway, go check out Ken's video and uh, you can actually hear him talk properly about it there. And, uh, oh, Ken, I just wanted to mention uh, uh, Wizard's Tower. You had the uh, colors reversed. Uh, I do actually <laughs> mention that in the video. I know that's why I said it because I didn't want to bug you. <laughs> but I'm still, I still have the problem with it where if I put the colors the right way, then it doesn't uh, let me load the game up. Hmm. There, there is a trick. <clears throat> um, if you hit yeah. reset when you're still at the basic prompt, yeah, you can see that the text characters will either be a thicker black or a thinner greenish, dark green. Okay. And each of those is one of the two phases. So you can actually tell by hitting reset until it goes thick or until it goes thin, depending on what you need for this particular game, and then load and run it, and then you don't have to hit reset after the game runs so it won't crash. I used to do that all the time. Anyways, um, it's a fantasy world, so I can have orange trees if I want. <laughs> <laughs> the alternative is to have blue ones. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> so I'm either having orange trees or blueberry trees. <laughs> now you're just making me hungry. <clears> hey, <throat> right, on to the next one. Um, so next up, we've got... David Mitchell has been very active on MC10 and Dragon stuff. And this is one of the few that he's done that actually covers all three major platforms. It covers the Dragon 3264, it covers the Cocoa 1, 2, 3, and it covers the MC10. And it's basically a basic routine library. And this is version 0.1. And he's got some stuff at the end of the video where he's talking about some you know plans he's already got for version 0.2. And basically, it's a, a bunch of subroutines library or not library calls but well library calls i guess but written in basic so this is not using a machine language or anything like that but he has stuff like drawing lines horizontal and vertical lines for example but he's also got a couple of interesting features so at this this video is only a minute and 50 seconds so i'll play the whole thing just to get an idea of some of the stuff that you can actually use in your basic programs for like low res text screen type stuff actually i have a question there oh sorry uh just pause there see that bottom line press any key to continue Notice yep. how the uh, spaces between the words are black. Yep. That's, is that that's because you can't actually when you when you try to print inverse text, the text comes out inverse, but spaces are still in uh, basic. Not, yes, you can you can poke it directly and yeah. switch it between the black and the dark. That's green. what I've been doing. I thought, is there a way to not have to poke it? Is there a trick on the keyboard to make it do an inverse space? No. Uh, unfortunately, there's not. I don't think you can even do okay. with a character string. I think you have to poke it, if I remember. Yeah. And you, I could you be wrong do. in that that's, last part, but that's what I was wondering if there's a way, uh, another way I don't know of. Or okay. you can get the it's, reverse video routine that they gave in uh, Rainbow that's just a little ML routine, doesn't even take that much room. It's like yeah. 40 bytes or something, and they just run it and then it inverses everything for you lickety fast. Yeah. That's what I used to do. But anyway, he's got some pretty cool, like I was expecting just like lines and stuff, so you didn't have to figure out a you do that, but he actually's got some pretty cool stuff in here. Looks good so far. Actually, used one of the routines here to draw this, but <clears throat> and the thing is, if you write a basic program for the little res for the MC10 of the Dragon or the Coco, it'll actually work in all three, so you don't even have to translate anything. The same library works in all of them. 
So filled box routine demo where you can actually put in semi-graphics or text characters. And then same with outline boxes. He's adding some you know fancier stuff where you can use to draw graphics. Well, I mean, you can obviously figure out how to do these yourself too, but uh, the fact that they're all done and they're basically just go subs <clears throat> saves you a bit of uh, coding time. And then, like you said, it's compatible between all three of the basics. So, Black spaces again. <laughs> I have that problem. I was having to do pokes all the time. So are inverted numbers not a thing like you showed there? They're not in basic. Yeah, and, <clears throat> That's yeah, another one you basic, have to poke. Yeah, another one you have to poke, yeah. Or just set the VDG to be inversed if you've got a Cocoa 2. 2B or a Cocoa 3, yeah. Yeah. The, the characters are there. They're just not accessible through basic, unfortunately. They're not, yeah, from basic, yeah. And here he's uh, the the closing screen. He's got this development to do, and he says to do for version point two: more routines, more documentation, and fewer variables. So apparently, thinks he's using too many variables. Which I mean, once he does that, it'll take less RAM. So that's good. Hey, that's that's pretty cool. I thought it was kind of neat having a little uh, lang or library with you know doing stuff like filled boxes that actually includes text or graphic characters, and runs on all three of the main platforms. So you can make a yeah. cross-platform game without having to write it over again. And if you're interested in getting it, it's on his GitHub, um, which we've covered before because he's got tons of stuff here. And the, if you get our show notes, there's a direct link to the this particular project. Next up, we have uh, Jim Gary, which he converted 15 Puzzle, which was originally by Greg Williams in 1981 and appeared in Byte magazine. To MC10, this is a simple tree-searching artificial intelligence demonstration, which is too many, big, too many big words for me, man. I don't understand what it's doing, but anyway, he converted it so you can give it a shot. <laughs> and uh, I believe Byte Magazine is archived on the Internet Archives. So you should be able to actually pull up that particular issue of Byte and actually read the article that goes along with it. And then uh, David Mitchell also did this one here. Now, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that he's probably using that library in this particular program. Yeah, it looks the same. <laughs> Uh, and this is not really a game per se, I don't think, uh, but basically it's a forest fire simulation. And this is the MC10 version shown here. Um, and it's based on a cell phone program. Um, so it's not too often we get a port of a cell phone game to the MC10, but here we go. Uh, he does mention that it is slow and probably should be ran through Greg Dion's MC10 basic compiler to speed it up because that actually speeds up basic programs like this probably two to three times. And you know, uh, Jim Gary uses that all the time. So I'll play a little bit of it. I, I'm not sure exactly what the game's doing. T, I assume, stands for trees. And the red, I'm guessing, is fire. And you kind of see it does it in rows as it's going down and doing it. Now, how this is a game, per se, I'm not quite sure. I can get a chance to really look at it. Um, but if you want to grab that, we'll also have in the show notes in the um, Discord here, 
a direct link to get the actual source code from this as well. Game of anti-life. <laughs> now on the dragon side of things, we've actually got a fair number of updates here. So the first one, Phil Arby Smith posted some photos on the dragon Facebook group of a new dynamic Ram tester that he has made using a Pico. And that can fully test a DRAM chip in about 15 seconds. And I'm not sure how thorough this goes, if it's just a simple, you know, write read back or if it's doing bit shifts and, you know, landing and oring and stuff to see if you can manipulate certain bits. I don't know how detailed it is, but uh, 15 seconds for a DRAM chip isn't actually too bad. And I'll do a zoom up there. So it's using the Raspberry Pi Pico, of course. I, I imagine this is more for the hardware guys that are doing fixes for other people's computers. I don't know what uh, Rick and Sloopy which, or Mark or David or anybody else, what do you guys do for doing RAM tests yourself? You just run the software and just hope that's not the bad RAM chip you're loading the software into? Or um, I'm usually just uh, trying to test it on the machine if I can get it to boot. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, so, this would be good for if you have a bunch of RAM that's not loaded at anything, you'd want to test it before you do something with it. Probably be a really good idea to have. Yeah, that's basically what I do. Just test it in the machine. Um, yeah. And then you've got a Tandy adapter with 16 chips and maybe one of them's bad or maybe all of yeah. them are bad. Those. I'm in that boat right now. I, I actually got two brand new Tandy adapters with no chips in them. And... I took the chips out of that one that I had that looks like it's been sat on by an elephant and put those into one of the Tandy adapters, but no boot. Okay. Now, he does mention here in, in the comments, he said, and now can do half good 64K RAM dynamograms like TMS 4532s and Oki 3732s. Now, the earlier Coco 1s, when the first eboard 32k upgrades came out, some of them were using bad half bad 64k RAM chips. They'd use the lower half or the upper half. So it sounds like this will actually specifically test for those and make sure like all the upper half's good and don't care about the lower half and vice versa. Um, and then he mentioned some other chips, including 41256s, which is what the Coco 3 uses for its uh 512k upgrade, if I remember correctly. There's 16 of them. And he's thinking about trying some other ones too here. So um I don't know, it looks like a pretty decent little project and a good use if you have a Pico already. I have a literal box full of old RAM chips. I would love a quick and dirty tester to just go through them all. and. Well, bring them to yeah, the Coco Fest. There is one that you can use. It's based off of a, um Arduino Uno, and it's pretty simple. But my biggest thing with it is it only, it only tests 4164s and 41. 256s or 4116s and 4164s. And there was an everything tester back before Mm. the the virus. Yeah. Um, But uh, it doesn't seem to exist anymore. Yeah, there's the the chip tester pro, but the problem is, is in kit form alone, it's like over $300, but that tests everything under the sun. Well, then you can't get it, so there's that. Yeah. I thought that was pretty, pretty quiet. Bring them to the next Cocoa Fest. My uh, EEPROM burner will uh, test chips. Yeah, the TL-866 does test some chips, but mostly just oh. static RAMs. Mine's, mine's a little bigger. Ah. Cool. Are you saying size matters, Mark? Uh, this case, yes. <laughs> I like big dreams, and I cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, uh, next up, uh, Grant Forrest posted on the Dragon 3264 group on Facebook some pictures of cassettes he picked up as part of a lot. Now, what is different about these, and the reason I brought it up, because usually if somebody picks up, you know, tapes and stuff here, I don't usually put that on as a news item. It's just a fairly rare one. But these are all Coco versions from the UK. These are not Dragon specific. They might be for both and labeled as both. But one thing I tend to forget is that uh, Coco games in the UK included some what I originally had thought were Dragon exclusive titles. No, they were meant for the Coco as well. Just never got sold in North America. Um, so this is a mix of both. Like you'll know, Trek Boar, obviously that's the Mark Data products. Uh, graphical adventure games, same with Vortex Factor, Space Rick with Spectral. But Two Boy Army, Tanglewood, Dark Star, Monsters, uh, those are all Dragon slash Coco games created in the UK that never got here until you know decades later type thing. So, I, but you'll see, like it says, you know, Two Boy Army for Tandy corporation they actually sold in tandy stores another thing that tandy did there was actually sold third-party stuff um there's stuff from microdeal design design we mentioned before was using the you know, nine assemblers dark star in fact i think is one of the ones that did use it dragon 3264 and tandy color 3264 so these were meant for the coco right off the bat and you know had to, whatever coding was needed for the you know the keyboard translation stuff that was a bit different and uh, i tend to forget you can see these ones in the bottom here from microdeal really emphasize tandy Tier City, 32K Calculator, and Dragon 3264. So I, I sometimes forget, you know, they, they actually had some unique titles that uh, we didn't see here for, for decades that were meant for the Coco off the bat. You didn't have to patch them. So I always find that interesting. Next up, Julian Brown here. Now, he did a couple updates on this. Um, He's doing the Dragon Reproduction Motherboard. Uh, Karen did one and he did the other. One did the Dragon 32, one did the Dragon 64. And I think, if I remember correctly, Julian's is the Dragon 32s. That's what I recall, um, too. What's that? That's what I recall, too. And Karen did the 64. Oh, I did remember that right. Good. Because I didn't write it down like I should have. Um, so he's sorted out the video issues he was having before and is now working on optimizing the layout. So that's what his first post is about here. And then he did a second post fairly shortly afterwards, I think later in the week here, um, where he's actually started to do the grind work of actually starting to relay stuff out here. Um, and he's also going to make it switchable between 32K and 64K. You still need to get an updated ROM, and you can't just use a Dragon 64 ROM because the Dragon 64 added a serial port, which is actually controlled somewhat by the ROM, and that obviously will not work on a Dragon 32 that only has a parallel port. It doesn't have a serial port, like a, a real one. Or 32, uh, 6551 based. So it still would need some modifications, but he actually is building in this board that you can switch it between 32K and 64K RAM modes. So you can actually have a 64K Dragon 32. So keeping an eye on that and see how that goes and whether you can get a ROM image made that will actually support that properly too. But 64K, because you get extra memory and basic, if I remember, on the Dragon, which we didn't get it on the Coco. I think it actually lets you go up to 40k or something like that free space for your program uh, another davies retro corner this is called scatteract and i think he's using his library here again <laughs> um, and this is from a graph it's a graphics demo from the book 35 programs for the dragon 32 by dr tim langdell and uh he's done some other conversions from the same book in previous weeks that we've covered on the show and it's basically just a little animated graphics demo i'll just fast forward a little bit here so here it's using uh, get put buffers with purposely missizing it. 
And uh, Microsoft Basic on that particular case just distorts it. It just doesn't calculate properly where it should go, and it gives you some neat, neat effects. I, I remember some basic games used to use this on purpose of resizing your get put buffer on a put to not what it's supposed to be, and it actually would make it kind of look like the thing blew up. And you can also smuck it on, or smush it on the right-hand side of the screen and get the same effect, too. So basically, it's just a bunch of little graphic demo things here using that particular technique. And as before, he's got his GitHub. There's, you can find the direct link to it in the show notes on Discord. And the last story for today is from John Whitworth of Dragon Plus Electronics. And this is... Um, him announcing that his miniaturized version of Phil Harvey Smith's DRGB is basically working. The screenshot he shows has the colors not quite right because he has a couple of wrong resistors, so they're a little off. That should not be pink, for example. Um, but basically, this will allow, <clears throat> if you put in this board here that he's made, like basically shrunk down, and you can see little pictures of it, which I'll zoom up in a second here. But if you take that and you plug a Sega Mega Drive 1 cable into it, then you can go straight to HDMI. So it's a kind of like an alternative to the SCART type thing. And you've got some pictures of it. It's this little board that plugs in. And then you can actually run it through the HDMI converter. And you can, you know, put the Dragon directly to uh, an HDMI modern TV. Much like Jason and Cocoman Biz's, uh, you know, SCART adapter with the Coco that Taylor and Amy feature on their episode. Go watch that. So... Good to good to see he's got that going. Is he's got to tweak the resistors here to get the colors exactly right, and then they have everybody in the Cocoa family will have HDMI output at this point. I except well, I know even the MC10 does if you go through the Cocoa VGA with the VGA to HDMI adapter. So basically, everybody can go HDMI now. And that's the end of the news for this week. Okay. All right. Uh, Sorry, what was that? <laughs> We're done, Nick. You can go Up back everyone. to sleep. Time to wake up, everybody. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, how long have we been at this? Oh, not too bad. We're still under four hours. Not too bad. At the moment. Um, I did get some goodies. Check it out. Okay. We'll, we'll call this a project slab, a slab of keyboards. And you want to zoom up, Mark, so we can, they can yeah, see? Yeah, as soon as I can find them. Oh, find the button, find the hey, button. Bring back your slab of keyboards there, because we didn't really see it. So here's a slab of keyboards. Now, are those all for the same model, or is that different? Oh, yeah, this is, this is the Coco 3 model. I have six of these now that I have to alternate between. So here's the Coco 3 slab. And then what Deke wants to see is my pillow of network cards. They came with the slab of keyboards because I'm going to try to get some serial ports on those and get that thing going. And then, of course, you've got to get the vacuum pack of uh, fingerboards for the keyboards, which I forget to keep doing because they're a separate order. And uh, <laughs> Deke's comment in the chat here is, ooh, yummy network cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With keep with the uh, 16550s on them, if I don't screw them up too much. Um, and yeah, the show wasn't that long. I only got this one part off the whole show. So, 
And that's a part for. Oh, this is a uh, network card case top with the vents in it. Oh, okay. Because, you know, these translate into about 16 hours of 3D printer. <laughs> so, got to keep that going. Cool. Does anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions they want to talk about? I know, Nick, you said that you're not ready for the next uh, viewing of Neutron. No, no, I'll wait till uh, <laughs> I can uh, get to a point where it'll just blow your socks off. Take your time, Nick. Take your time on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and here's my new game, Tic Tac Toe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do one with 3D still glasses. still better than Neutroid. <laughs> Actually, it would be nice if, if Nick could do um, Gradius. Mm. Yeah, I know which <laughs> game that is. It's an arcade game. Maybe I, I, I know uh, John and, and uh, Aaron really liked the 3D glasses there when they were playing uh, Warp Factor 10 by Steve Bjork at Cocoa Fest there. So maybe we'll have to get Nick to make a 3D game with glasses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, is that enough for this for today? Yeah. Well, I think nobody else have any updates or acquisitions? Spectacles. Sorry, go ahead, David. I said I think we've had plenty of spectacles. <laughs> All well, right. in closing, I guess my my big thank you to our guests today um, for coming on the show and, and talking about the third decade of Nitrous Nine. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate all the work you guys have done, and uh, for keeping the flame alive when I you know, recovered from burnout. <laughs> so, so is there a part four? Nope. Not, not until you know, nine and a half years from now. <laughs> there you go. Not yet. He meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> Have we had a, uh, a, uh, Nitro nine EOU specific OS nine show. Like not well, pretty well. OS every time 9. I announce a new version, that's pretty well a specific show. So ah, right. we've had four alphas, six betas, no, seven or eight betas because it's some 0.1 releases plus the official EOU. So we probably had, I don't know, a dozen of them. All right. One, one coming up. Okay. Yeah, one on one I'm working on, including that one special request from Rick that he's been bugging me since the 90s. <laughs> All right. There mm-hmm. comes the fire department. I want the 90s back. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Bye, everybody. <laughs> okay well goodbye yep see you all bye, next week everyone bye, except i won't be here next week Yahoo! i'll be in a 10 minute show so a short show yeah <laughs> <laughs>